Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the San Francisco Planning Commission and Building Inspection Commission special joint hearing for Thursday, May 11th, 2023. To enable public participation, SFGov TV is broadcasting and streaming this hearing live and we will receive public comment for each item on today's agenda. Each speaker will be allowed up to three minutes and when you have 30 seconds remaining, you will hear a chime indicating your time is almost up. When your allotted time is reached, I will announce that your time is up and take the next person queued to speak. We will take public comment from persons in City Hall first and then open up the remote access line. For those persons calling in to submit their testimony, you need to call 415-655-0001 and enter access code um, 2591-344-3462 and press pound twice. At this point, you should be able to listen to the hearing live, wait for the item you are interested in speaking to and for public comment to be announced. To comment, you need to press star three to raise your hand. Once you've raised your hand, you will hear a prompt stating that you've raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls upon you. When you hear that you are unmuted, that is your indication to begin speaking. For those of you joining us via WebEx, please log in via the link found on today's agenda and enter passcode CPC2023 and use the raised hand icon to ask a question. Best practices are to call from a quiet location and please mute the volume on your television or computer. For those attending in person, please line up on the screen side of the room or to your right. Please speak clearly and slowly, and if you care to, state your name for the record. Finally, I'll ask that we silence any mobile devices that may sound off during these proceedings. At this time, I'd like to take roll. Commission President Tanner. Here. Commission Vice President Moore. Here. Commissioner Braun. Here. Commissioner Diamond. Here. Commissioner Imperial. Here. Commissioner Koppel. Here. And we do expect Commissioner Ruiz to be absent today. I'll do the roll call for the Building Inspection Commission. President Beto. Here. Vice President Tam. Here. Commissioner Alexander Toot. Here. Commissioner Newman. Here. Commissioner Shaddix. Here. And Commissioner Summer. Here. Thank you, Commissioners. Uh, you have one item on your special calendar today. Case number 2022-0102410-OTH for the site permit reform project. This is an informational presentation. Before the uh, staff presentation, which I know, Mr. Christensen, you've been getting ready for for quite a while, um, so we, we thank you just a, a little patience here. Mm -hmm. So to welcome the members of the Building Inspection Commission here. Um, we're very excited to have you here um, and very excited to see such a full house for what I think is a very exciting topic, which is, you know, permit streamlining. What could be more fun than looking at flowcharts and thinking about how to move the boxes and how to get rid of more boxes and forms and things like that. So um, I'm very, very excited to have you all here. Um, I want to just say, you know, it's, it's a, it's a challenging road that we've been on as a city right now. We're in our economic downturn. We know that um, the world of planning and building is very cyclical. We move with the markets, and the markets right now are retracting, which to me is the perfect time for the type of improvements that we're talking about right now, really making sure that as we are having a little bit of slowness, which I know for staff, it doesn't feel slow. You've got less staff doing um, work, and so um, there's still quite a lot of caseload on everyone's plates. But this is the time to retool, to think about how we do things, how we can do things differently, how we can do things better. 
our commission for the last three years with um, our really talented staff and working on our housing element, which just was adopted and certified earlier this year. And in that contained really a lot of things that transcend just the planning department, but go to the work that you do, public works, PUC, fire, and really everyone who has a hand in helping to build housing here in San Francisco. And so I think this type of uh, meeting here, hopefully we have more joint work because our staffs are, are working very, very jointly um, and closely together. I know the mayor's put out our housing for all plan and all of the departments have been putting forward plans for improving and what we're going to do to really make sure we can build over the, 80, the 82,000 plus housing units that we have to build. Not to mention the economic recovery that's happening and we hope to see more offices, more um, tenant improvements, a lot more activity. And so this work here is really, really important for our economic recovery as well as for our housing production. And maybe I'll, I'll just say at the very beginning, um, you know, we, I want to just, just say to the, the staff in the building um, inspection department that it's been a challenging time for your department and, and I want to just say we recognize that there are so many talented folks who work in your department who are dedicated public servants and we at the commission in the recent past have been dealing with some of the unfortunate fallout of some of the more the corruption right that was part of some of the department and we know that doesn't represent all of the department and even not even the majority of it but certainly captures the headlines and so I hope we can work more closely together to just be part of helping to rebuild uh, the institutions that are part of San Francisco and restoring the public public trust in not only your department, but in planning and really throughout everything. So we're so excited that you're all here. Raquel and I have been working closely together on this project and so very excited to have such a champion, um, a knowledgeable expert in her field and really someone who I think together along with Mayor Breed and others and the supervisors, we can really actually make some, some pretty significant changes. So very, very excited about this. Again, I um, had a career in government, so I love this kind of stuff. So I'm, gonna, I'm very excited um, to hear from Mr. Christensen and the very detailed, um, but also very, uh, very important work that he's been doing. Did you wanna make any remarks, President Beto? No, I just want to thank the Planning Commission. I think we're in your chambers for welcoming us. Um, uh, to Rachel's point, we've been uh, preparing for this for quite some time now, and we're excited about the partnerships that the DBI and planning are making together. So thank you for welcoming us. Thank you, and we're ready. Thanks. Uh, so we have the slide deck on the computer. Uh, good afternoon, Presidents Beto and Tanner, members of the Building Inspection Commission and the Planning Commission. My name is Michael Christensen. I'm a principal planner with the San Francisco Permit Center. For today's joint hearing, I'll be presenting on a project to reform and modernize the way that we process permits in San Francisco, focusing on the existing site permit process. Uh, we're very excited to be here today with our two commissions meeting jointly. In San Francisco, we often have an issue where processes are not quite as coordinated between agencies as we would sometimes like them to be. And this is a project that really seeks to fix that through a truly interagency effort. Uh, the Permit Center is managing the project and it was initiated and is being sponsored jointly by the Department of Building Inspection and the Planning Department. Uh, the project is led by Elizabeth Waddy, Director of Current Planning for Planning and Neville Pereira, Deputy Director of Permit Services for DBI. Uh, here today we also have our partners uh, we're also working across city agencies to make this a truly uh, special product. Um, and here today we have Deborah Letsky and Bernie C from Public Works, Maya Small from SFMTA. Uh, we also have Judson True from the Mayor's Office and Rebecca Villarreal Mayor from the Permit Center. We're all available to answer any questions you have to the end of the presentation. Uh, 
Uh, so to get started, we, we want to just make sure everybody, we all have a baseline understanding of what it is when we talk about a site permit. And it is something that is truly a uniquely San Francisco thing. It's not a term that's defined in the state building code. It's not a term that any other cities really use. It is a San Francisco process. Uh, here in San Francisco, our city charter establishes that every permit is appealable. Every permit decision can have public input and the opportunity for somebody to raise any concerns they have to the Board of Permit Appeals. In some cases, they can also have their concerns heard by the Planning Commission through an entitlement or discretionary review. You can go to the Board of Supervisors. We love public process in San Francisco. Our codes also make a building permit the main vehicle that we use to regulate uses and construction in the city. And we use them in a lot of ways that are very different than other cities. Uh, for example, if you have a restaurant that wants to serve alcohol, you go and you get a building permit. Um, if you want to change your hours of operation on a business, you go and you get a building permit. These are things that are not typical. Uh, the site permit process was tailored to this context in San Francisco. So a site permit is a voluntary process through which an applicant can get approval of their high-level overall scope of work before they prepare construction-level details. Um, so we have an existing full permit process where you come in with everything drawn at once. That's the upper portion of the slide. You come in with a full plan set, everything figured out all at once, and then the issuance of that permit and all those details are appealable. In contrast to site permit, you come in with the architectural set. So we're really looking at the high-level project, um, a conceptual-level project, something that is typically reviewed uh, by a planning department. And the permit is based on those drawings. That is appealable. And then you follow that up with addenda that add the construction-level details to actually build what you're proposing. Um, this benefits both the applicant and the public. So an applicant gets certainty that their project is viable from a technical and a legal perspective before they invest in construction level drawings. Uh, we, don't, we don't need to figure out where your electrical outlets are before we know if we're gonna approve it in the first place. Uh, but it also benefits the public because we keep projects at a conceptual enough level that their input can yield changes. Uh, we, we're still early enough in the process that we can incorporate feedback into the project and change it without being too far along in designing the project. Um, similarly, that's, that is why we're here today, early in the process, to get public feedback while we're still developing this project. Uh, site permits today are used in a few different cases. Large projects routinely use them to get approved and then to start building as soon as possible. Through the addenda process, a large project can start doing things like constructing their foundation while they have their plans for electrical and superstructure still being reviewed by the department. So it lets them start work earlier. Um, it's also used for projects that require an approval by the planning department or planning commission where the city has some level of discretion. Uh, so we looked into all of the projects under review with the planning department right now. And of those, looking at the new building projects, we're building a brand new building, 96% of those are being processed as site permits. There were seven that we found that are not site permits, and they are all for small sheds in somebody's backyard. So it is a new building. It's not really that complicated. Uh, finally, site permits are a way that you can uh, have complex projects reviewed. So if you have a technical issue that you need resolved before you develop construction level drawings, you can get that high level scope reviewed and approved, again, before you get too far into the details. 
Uh, as great as, con as site permits are as a concept, their execution has had some issues that we're seeking to fix through this project. The overall permit process is very long. It's very regularly reported in the news how long our permit process takes. Uh, some of this is due to the complexity of building in San Francisco where we have very small lots with typically zero lot lines. Um, but the way that we've ordered our review process also contributes to these long timelines. Uh, the review process is also somewhat uncoordinated. Your permits get to every agency that needs to see them, but there isn't a layer of overseeing that overall process. So if something does go wrong, oftentimes it is up to an applicant to complain so that we know that there's something wrong and we can fix it. Um, and it's not a really accessible process for somebody who isn't a permitting pro. Um, applicants leave this process with a set of plans that the city has approved, um, but that, that is really what they're leaving with is just a set of plans. They don't really get an implementation plan. Uh, plan checkers do their best to tell applicants what other permits they need to apply for, but that's not documented centrally. It's just in individual emails and conversations. And finally, we just use old tools for our work. Uh, we rely mainly on the permit tracking system, which is an old system that just simply lacks features we would like to have in order to do our work better and to be a lot more proactive when things go astray. So the goals of the project are to address those issues, um, but really to create a permit process that's fast and efficient, consistent and predictable, and organized and accountable to the public. When somebody applies for a permit, we want them to know kind of what they're getting into and what that process is gonna look like and what they need to do to get their permit. And that's, that's not something that we can say today. Uh, but we believe that this process that we're describing today is one that will get us there. Uh, so the process that we're describing today is uh, the development review permit process. I'm gonna go into detail in the next few slides on what applicants will need to do at each milestone, what this looks like for applicants at each milestone of the review. Um, but this is a process that we're intending to replace the current site permit process. So you're getting to that same milestone of a conceptual approval, but you're doing it in a much better way, faster, just simply makes more sense. Uh, the basic flow would start with an applicant applying online directly with the planning department. The planning department would then coordinate a review of the permit through key city agencies and get preliminary feedback on key and defined topics using checklists. The planning department would compile all of these comments together and then provide them to the applicant in one plan check letter. The applicant would iterate and address those comments, then go through any required processes like neighborhood notification or a planning commission hearing. After they've met all city requirements, they would receive a permit directly from planning. Uh, this next slide is a flow chart. I also printed it on a larger version that you should have in case it's difficult to read. Uh, but we really just wanna highlight three key areas where this contrasts with our current permit review process. First, at the start of the process, to the left side of, this, of the slide, applicants are currently going through a double intake. So you apply, and you go through an intake process with the Department of Building Inspection. DBI has really strengthened that process re recently with things like pre-plan check, um, but you're working with somebody in DBI to get your permit accepted for review. Uh, once you get accepted by DBI, you go to the planning department and the first person you're working with tells you you're not accepted because you're missing other things. So you, you go through this kind of duplicative process that can be confusing for applicants, 
um, and is just inefficient. Um, so we'd like to merge those into just a single intake process with the planning department. Uh, the second thing is when it comes to the actual plan check, currently you get plan checked by the planning department, then you go to the planning commission for any entitlement or discretionary review decision. Only after planning has approved your permit, you go to every other agency. Um, and this has two issues where it, it deprives us at the planning department of knowing that the project is actually viable before we approve it. Um, but it also mandates that we have this two-stage review process where if there are issues that are discovered in that second phase, the permit sometimes needs to route back to planning and planning might have to redo that approval. Um, and applicants just can't address all of the issues with their permit at once. They have to iterate piecemeal as they're getting comments from individual agencies in different periods that can be years separate. Uh, we need to get to a point uh, where we are providing comprehensive comments from the city within 30 days. Um, that is what is mandated of us, and we're designing a process around that mandate. Um, the third is, is really just that we are, we have many cases where we may not be sure if a project has technical issues in the building code or the public works code or other codes when we're taking it for an entitlement decision. Um, but the way that our system is structured, we don't, that happens afterwards. So we want to move that forward. Uh, so we want to get into the specifics of how this review would be completed uh, for, for applicants and for staff. And, and how it delivers improvements, starting with how you first file a permit. The planning department has an existing system called a CELA that already has an online application portal. It's already how you file entitlement applications. You have a login, it's almost like shopping online. You fill out your application, you attach your documents, you submit your plans. Um, but we don't use it for permits. Um, this only is used for existing entitlement applications like conditional use. Uh, bringing the ability to accept permit applications through the system would not require anything new or any new cost to the city, but it would allow, allow an applicant to file the permit, submit their payments, track their status and comments, and submit revisions all online. By moving this permit process to planning, we can, we can leverage this existing tool to do our work better and make it easier for applicants just to start the process. It would also automate getting those records set up in a cello which right now we take in a PDF copy and somebody sits and manually types it into a cella. So we're eliminating intake processes that we just don't need to be doing. For how this contrasts to today, um, there's three key ways. First, um, obviously it's an online application. Uh, right now, if you file a site permit, you either go to the permit center in person with your paper plans or you file by email. Uh, email is not secure for the city. We're often told by the city not to open attachments and random emails, but the way that we take in permits is we get random emails and open the attachments. That is, that's how we do our work right now, and we want to leverage existing tools so that we're, we're not doing that. Um, a cell is an online portal, so it's much more like buying something from an online retailer where you make an account, you submit through a web form, all this protects the city. Second, we would use this project to merge our intake processes into one process. There would no longer be cases where somebody gets accepted for review by one department just to then have the next person that they talk to in the cities to tell them that they're not accepted for review. And third, this allows us to track the entire review process in the system, which allows department management to be proactive when issues come up. 
If it is supposed to take 30 days for something to finish, we want the ability to know on day 29 when we haven't done it yet, and we can start to be proactive and fix that issue. And unfortunately, that's just not something we can do today with our current system. When it comes to getting plan check comments, the plan check process would be managed by the planning department in Acela. Applicants would receive one full plan check letter within 30 days with all of the city's comments. It would be a full and comprehensive plan check by the planning department covering the planning code, design guidelines, and environmental review. For other agencies like the Department of Building Inspection, Public Works and Fire, the plan check would be preliminary and limited. Um, so checklists would be used to define what is reviewed and those checklists would be uh, public so people would actually know what it is that we're checking for. Finally, we would use these tools to be proactive. We wanna be able to respond to individual permits where there are issues, but also to be able to see larger trends through better data collection. For example, if we see that on the first round of reviews, DBI has comments on egress often, uh, we can respond with better information to applicants on what is required. We can iterate and respond to that issue uh, where right now we just don't collect that level of data at all, so we, we don't have the ability to adapt and improve. Compared to today, this would merge our two cycles of plan check into one cycle. Building, fire, and public works would review at the same time as planning, and all of those comments would go to the applicant at once. The plan check cycle right now is also uncoordinated. The planner combines different planning department comments into one plan check letter for the applicant, but other agencies don't have a, a level of coordination. So once you hit that second phase of review with building, fire, public works, your permit goes out to those agencies, they review on their own timeline and they get back to you individually. So your permit goes out, you might get comments from DBI a month later, public works a month after that, fire two weeks after that. Uh, there just isn't a level of coordination there. Uh, and we don't currently set due dates for those reviews, where in this process we would set due dates so that we meet a 30-day timeline. Uh, also, right now, everybody, right now planning approves the permit before anybody else even sees it. So we have cases where the commission will ask, the planning commission will ask staff if something uh, works, if something, if there is a building code issue or a public works code issue, and the planning department doesn't have the ability to, to really ask that question other than you know, finding somebody to email and kind of manually working that through. Uh, what gets reviewed under site permit is also very inconsistent. Admittedly, site permits look exactly the same as full permits on the staff side, so, you know, often staff are reviewing site permits at full construction detail. Uh, we've seen many cases where somebody applies for a site permit, they go through years of review as they're getting asked for more and more and more detail, and they end the process with a full construction set, but they still get issued a site permit because that's what it's intaked as. And then they just need to take that set and resubmit it as one addenda. Um, to address that, we have checklists to guide and define the review, and the topics of the checklist are in later slides that we'll talk about today. Uh, when it comes to getting your permit, uh, we'll design this so you don't need to come into the permit center to get your issued permit. Right now you do. The permit will include an implementation plan defining what all needs to be done to get the project built. So if you need a permit from Public Works, we want to tell you that now so that you can factor that into your planning. Uh, we don't want it to be a surprise when you get later into the construction permit 
um, and then your project gets held because you didn't submit something that you may not have known. Uh, after your permit is issued, if your project includes construction, you'd follow through with submitting construction documents to DBI through the existing addenda process, and this development review permit would be the appealable document just like site permits are today. Uh, with this slide, we really just want to stress what is the same more than what is actually changing. Um, today you get a site permit, through this process you would get a development review permit. But it's the same milestone, it's the same appealable document, it's just a very different process. We want to name it differently because it is a very different thing. Um, the key difference is the, the end slide. Right now when you get a site permit, you get an approved set of plans and a permit, um, but you don't get an implementation plan along with it. Um, we want kind of an everyday homeowner or business owner to be able to navigate our city process, and it's complicated. The last we counted, there's 80-something different permits that you might need to build a project in San Francisco. Um, and if you're a pro, you might know all those 87 and have a flow chart on when exactly to submit, but that's, that's not normal for every, every person in the city. Uh, this roadmap approach is already part of how we process small business permits under Proposition H. So we're taking an existing tool that we've seen success in and trying to integrate it into this process. Um, and this benefits projects big and small. You know, we, we often hear big projects that don't know that they need some permit from Public Works or fire until late in the game. But we also see things like uh, I processed a permit for a coffee shop where somebody had very recently come to the United States invested their entire family's life savings to open a coffee shop, went through the building permit, built it out, thought that they were gonna open, was really running out of money, didn't know they needed a health permit. And it, it seems obvious to somebody working for the city that you need a health permit for that, um, but that, that's not a common experience. So we wanna provide that guidance much earlier in the process. Uh, like was mentioned, if the project includes construction, you would follow through with submitting construction documents. You'd submit them directly to DBI, just like you do for Addenda today. Uh, we do have projects that don't include construction, but today need a building permit, because it's the only way that the planning department can approve the project, back to the restaurant that wants to serve alcohol. Um, so with this project, that scope would just go through planning, and they wouldn't need a building permit to not build anything. For projects that do have construction, the addenda review would be just like today. It would be based on objective standards and consistency with the approved project. As long as it matches and it meets the code, you'll get your addenda. Those documents would not be appealable just like today, and impact fees would be paid only when you are able to actually start building the project just like today. Now we want to cover what will get reviewed by city agencies at this stage. We've often heard complaints of permits getting reviewed at a full construction level, so we want to use checklists to have clear definition of what gets checked and what doesn't get checked at this conceptual stage. Uh, for the Planning Commission, these are items that currently only get reviewed after you have seen and fully approved the project, and now those would be get reviewed before you see the project. And we're focusing today on the core three, building inspection, public works, and fire. There are some cases where something needs to go to the Public Utilities Commission or SFMTA, and we're working with them to make sure that we have all of these appropriate comments topics covered. Um, but for all of, all of these agencies, the first question that we're gonna ask is, what permits is this gonna need? 
minor encroachment, street improvement, operational permit, health permit. There's a list of 87, I think, was the number. Which ones are gonna need so we can give you that roadmap? For the Department of Building Inspection, we have four core topics identified. The first is accessibility, making sure the project is accessible to everybody as required by the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, the second is construction type, verifying that if an applicant is designing the project according to a certain construction type, that they actually are eligible for that construction type and not a more expensive one. Um, this can really change the building form, but can also substantially change the cost of construction. So we wanna get that preliminary determination to applicants earlier so that they can factor that into their decision making. Third is fire protection. In San Francisco, our typical development pattern is zero lot line, so fire protection is required in most projects. Um, but if it's not identified during planning review, the changes that you have to incorporate later might cause us to need to redo neighborhood notice, and you create this back and forth cycle where you keep bouncing back and forth between the two stages. So we wanna resolve that earlier. And finally, we wanna review for egress. Um, if there's an emergency, can people safely get out? Can you still see the presentation? Okay. For public works, we wanna start with mapping. Where we see projects that require mapping changes, we wanna let the applicant know what that process looks like, and if we see any design issues with it as it's currently designed. Uh, we also wanna get the permit to urban forestry at this stage. This group is tasked with reviewing permits for tree removals, uh, including street trees. And we've heard that sometimes there are fairly small design changes that might result in us not having to kill a street tree, but when the planning department fully approves a project in a certain way, and then it goes to that group, it's sometimes a little bit too late for them to ask for that minor design change. And so if we can get that feedback earlier, we hope to better protect our tree canopy. Uh, transformer vaults are also a contentious topic. If they're in a building and they, if they're in the building, they can impact the street level experience, but if they're in the street, they can privatize part of the public realm. Um, it's a key design issue that we really need an answer for earlier so that we really know the project that we're approving. Um, and we wanna get that feedback to applicants at this stage. And finally, if something in the project requires right-of-way changes, so something on the street or sidewalk, whether it's flaring the sidewalk, whatever it is, we wanna know if that change is going to work for public works, because it will need a public works permit and we don't wanna design it in a way that they won't approve. So we wanna get that feedback much earlier. And for the fire department, we really see two main topics. Um, sometimes there are features needed in a building that an applicant should factor into the design or budget like a fire tank or sprinklers. So just letting an applicant know that, they don't need to have that planned out at this conceptual stage. Uh, but most importantly, we wanna make sure that safety personnel have adequate site access in case of an emergency. So we're here today as part of the outreach phase of this project. It's very common for the city to come with a package of changes planned out with legislation drafted and then ask the public for feedback. We are doing the complete opposite here. Uh, we are focusing on public outreach first. We are talking about the details and iterating, um, but we are not here with a formal proposal. This is purely for an outreach and to get your feedback and the public's feedback. 
In terms of timeline, the project started with a project charter in August of last year. After that, the Permit Center worked on a case study of peer jurisdictions in the state. We went very deep into the codes for San Diego, Long Beach, Los Angeles, San Jose, Oakland, and Sacramento. We then did direct outreach to some frequent applicants and our internal stakeholders. This was followed by a general stakeholder outreach event last month on April 19th, where we invited every registered neighborhood organization in San Francisco. Uh, we also invited every person or group that registered to receive updates from the Department of Building Inspection. And we also use data to get invites out to some key stakeholders. So when you visit the Permit Center in person, we have a system that manages queues. And we use that to identify the top 500 customers by number of visits to the Permit Center, get their emails, and directly invite them to the event. Um, we are here today at this joint hearing to get your feedback and hear more from the public. And we also want to schedule more one-on-one -on -one conversations with groups that want to talk talk with us and make this a success. Um, and we already have more scheduled, including with some of our cultural districts. So all of this will culminate in us preparing a package of legislation to submit for consideration. And concurrently, we're working on technology updates to make this all a success, as well as a citywide permit review procedure so staff throughout the city can work effectively with this change. Uh, we want to make sure this is, a, this is a successful project, and we're here today to hear and learn from you and our stakeholders. Um, this concludes our presentation, and we're here to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we also have representatives from San Francisco Planning, Department of Building Inspection, Public Works, SFMTA, and the Permit Center, as well as the Mayor's Office. So really, any question you have, we're here to, to answer. Thank you, Michael. That concludes staff's presentation. We should open up public comment. Members of the public, this is your opportunity to address the commissions on this matter. Um, if you're in the chambers, please come forward and line up on the screen side of the room. Uh, through the chair, each person will be allowed up to two minutes. And if you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. Thank you. I just want to note we have a, at least one commissioner that has to leave early. We've got a lot of folks here. We've got a good number of attendees online, too, so we do want to hear from everybody today. So sorry for the reduction in time, but that's an interest of making sure we hear everyone um, and that you can hear from hopefully all the commissioners as well. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Charlie Chan. I'm an architect. I have been working in San Francisco more than 20 years. And today, I feel really happy to see the presentation. And I know that is require a lot of work to move forward. But my opinion is like, now you have a good control for the output. But I want planning department to step forward to control the input. Um, for example, if you want to reduce the workload, then you can have better control on your output. For example, when I started in 20 years ago, we have the matrix for the in-law, and then I'm really good at cracking that system. And recently, when I go back after the pandemic, I talked to Edgar, planning department doesn't require to review anymore about the in-law unit. Then we can just go straight to the building. That is awesome. 
The second thing is like historical preservation. Maybe 10 years ago, they draw the line for 50 years. Every building over, maybe uh, over 50 years, you need to require historical preservation review. But to be honest, I'm going to turn 50 years old this year. So you have to like maybe draw the line a little bit higher <laughs> to 100 years. Then you can reduce another like 10, 20% of workload, right? Lastly, I think if we're able to do the project, like single family home or two units building and within the buildable area, you don't have to go back and forward with the neighbor. You just go straight and get the planning approved and move on to the building. So I think if you can control your input, then that will work better for the output. Thank That's you. what I want to say. That's yeah. your time. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Thank you very much. Um, my name is Christopher Roach. I am an architect based here in San Francisco. I'm also uh, the chair of the AIA Public Policy and Advocacy Committee, um, but I'm here speaking as a citizen and as an architect. Um, we're very excited about this uh, potential uh, reforms. Um, our group, along with the AIA's uh, Small Firms Committee, um, have been working uh, with the planning department, meeting with the building department, um, and actually have met uh, with uh, HCD as well. We put together a memo um, and a list of recommendations for process improvements uh, in San Francisco, and site permit reform was definitely at the top of our list, um, so we're really uh, here to support uh, this uh, proposal. Of course, um, you know, the devil's in the details. Uh, I think there's still, you know, a lot of questions about how um, the interdepartmental part of this works, and we'll be very curious to, um, I think, you know, work with the, our partners at the planning department and building department, um, you know, to kind of bring our experience. I mean, as architects, we're really where the rubber, where the boots on the ground. Um, we deal with these um, processes uh, every day, and um, we, just uh, welcome any opportunity for us to give uh, input and feedback. Um, but I think um, our main point is this is, I think, a historic opportunity um, to improve our processes here. It may be perfect, but let's approve this, uh, get it going. We can always tweak it um, as it moves forward. So thank you very much for your time and consideration. Hello, Commissioners. I'm David Gast. I'm an architect. I have my firm here in the city. Um, I've been a resident of the city since arriving here in 69 and have had my firm um, doing architecture here since 1980 and before that as a contractor for four years and um, also on the Community Design Center as a representative of them in the city. I have a pretty good understanding of how the city works and it doesn't work. And uh, through those decades, I've seen that the process for obtaining permits has gotten um, incredibly more difficult, longer, more expensive. And I am delighted to see, as Christopher said, that uh, the departments are working together to create processes that make that a little bit uh, less onerous and untenable than it is now. I'm hoping that in addition to your two departments that 
Department of Public Works will get on board with this and the fire department because their uh, DPW in particular um, can be very difficult to get through and is probably the most difficult of the agencies that we deal with right now. Um, delighted to see that we're facilitating digital tools, that we're having concurrent plan review by all the departments, which is huge, rather than waiting for planning to sign off before it goes there. Um, coordinating comments from all of the agencies, defining and limiting the scope of the review by departments, which is essential. Right now, we often get very inconsistent uh, review by the various departments in terms of what's required depending upon the plan reviewer. And putting forth a roadmap of additional processes will be highly valuable. Um, as Christopher said, I'm also on the Planning and Policy Advocacy Committee of the AIA and on the Small Firms Committee. We hope that we'll be able to continue this process and uh, get into the details and the weeds of how this works. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Serena Calhoun. I'm a local architect. I applaud planning and DBI for taking this important step, and I hope this is the first of many meaningful changes. The truth is I don't generally advocate the use of the site permit process for my clients. We do a lot of single-family home additions and renovations, and I find that it takes two to five years to go through the site permit process with an additional nine to 12 months, maybe 18 months, to go through the addenda reviews. And I can never in good conscience advocate to my clients to pay us to do two permit submittals so that they lose more time on their project. In general, I'd love to see the site permit versus the full permit processes eliminated and provide just a single path for all projects, where, whereby um, all projects are taken in as full permits with an option to only do the site permit review for the few uh, projects that that makes sense for. Allowing for a small break after planning approval for the attachment of structural and Title 24 documents. At the very least, I want to recommend a few additional improvements to the proposed changes, which are great. Uh, require that the Planning Commission publish their unwritten policies. That can have a significant delay to the design process, but also you know, brings us to projects before you that you're going to deny. Implement changes to reduce the amount of time to get into hearings. Often I've waited four to six months to be assigned a hearing date for variance, planning commission, uh, preservation. Limit design reviews to the written objective terms of the planning code. With DBI, publish code interpretations similar to what planning does to help standardize plan check reviews. In general, consistency in reviews by all agencies involved is key to the success of this new process. Uh, improve the Acela interface to make it more user-friendly. It's not the best. I am concerned about one thing, which is involving DBI too early in the planning review process or requiring multiple reviews by their agencies. I'm afraid it will be a major drain on DBI staff time, which may affect other projects in their pipeline. Thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, my name is Lev Weisbach. I am also an architect in San Francisco. Um, I have been working with both Chris and David Gast over the past two years to try to craft suggestions, recommendations for improvement. We started about two years ago um, bothering Mr. O'Reardon with some ideas about creating some checklists so that everybody had a good idea of what um, would be required upon submittal. 
Um, and that has sort of ballooned into this process where last year we created a list of 35 process improvements that the uh, both the small firms committee and the um, public policy committee um, drafted together. And we have submitted this both to DBI, to the mayor's office, um, and to um, Liz Wadi and Rich Hillis from the Planning Commission. So they're very well aware of other options or other ideas that we have. But certainly getting the site permit process um, streamlined was number one on our list. So this is awesome that this is happening. Um, I do share some of the concerns about the interagency review. I know that um, in my dealings with DPW, we probably we had a project recently finally approved for a, a foundation permit after seven and a half years. About three years of that was probably going through design review, planning, um, uh, planning review, and neighborhood review. The other four and a half years were really partial pandemic, but quite a bit of it was DPW issues. So we really um, do feel strongly that DPW needs to sort of be brought into the fold in a big way because they really do have a large impact. One of the things that's been brought up is this whole sidewalk transformer vault issue. I know it seems like an insignificant thing, but when you combine DPW and PG&E as the two major players to try to get through that process, it is really, really difficult. So as part of this, if DPW and PG&E can be brought in early enough to talk about approaches. Thank you, that is your time. Great, thank you. Good afternoon, commissioners. Mark Loper, uh, Ruben, Genius, and Rose um, here just to uh, share a few comments. But first, um, I just wanna thank both of your staffs for uh, tackling a monumental issue um, that's not very exciting um, and is very complicated and very detailed. And um, it's, it's just great to see the departments working together to try to come up um, with solutions. Um, just speaking um, as a, an entitlements lawyer, um, one of the things that, that we think is great about this process is um, that the planning department is going to uh, take minor projects on, on their own and that they won't need to go to various other departments. Um, that should, as, as Michael was mentioning, for, for minor things like a restaurant getting a liquor license, um, you know, adding a bathroom, maybe changing a use if there's no work that can be done, that will definitely help those businesses um, execute their plans quicker. Um, another thing that um, we have noticed in, in other jurisdictions that it seems like it could be helpful here is having advanced review during the entitlement process by other agencies. You also heard the flip side, which is, you know, trying to thread the needle of making sure that the, that the feedback that is being provided by various departments um, ends up leading to a process that goes faster and is not otherwise occupying um, those departments' time on, on other projects. Um, and then finally, the, um, seeing if there's a way to, to get DPW to speed things up. Um, I, you may hear that a lot. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, my name is Jerry Drattler. Expediting the issuance of site permits is key to achieving the city's goal of increasing housing production. San Francisco is the only major California city that processes site permits with building permits. Processing site permits with building permits delays the issuance of site permits by four to 18 months. Some of the benefits that could be realized by expediting the process of site permits, community input, and concerns over land use issues. 
would occur earlier in the project development process. Expedited issuance of site permits would make it easier for developers to secure project financing. And that's important in this difficult financing environment. And lastly, there is no business reason to continue processing site permits with building permits. Thank you. Good afternoon, Georgia Shudish. Um, building code 106A 4.11, that was changed, it's the slope protection. It went from 25 to 20. I think it should go back to 20 because you have to be concerned about getting geotech studies for neighbors who are worried about underpinning. Uh, egress is a life safety issue. Uh, apparently, the issues with DBI information sheet EGO2 and the state fire marshal have never been fully resolved. And I don't know, but I think it's still a temporary sheet and it doesn't seem quite adequate. And it's very important because of excavations into the hillside. Bedrooms are fundamentally subterranean with only access into a well that needs stairs to get to grade. And that's a problem that should be dealt with at intake. Finally, section 317 demo calcs. Given the apparent efficiencies with blue beam, it seems reasonable that the demo calcs be submitted at intake. Apparently, the planning staff and the enforcement department can currently use Bluebeam to see if the project violated the tantamount to demolition thresholds. Additionally, some planners know how to use a pen and pencil and figure it out. Um, Bluebeam is the vehicle that project sponsors will use to apply for a permit under the new system, and there seems to be no reason that the calcs cannot be on the plans with the application, even if things change in the field during construction. Currently, projects are accepted as complete without the demo calcs. This has been a problem for years. I just read about a project on Jersey Street where the, retroactively the, uh, alter, the application was considered complete, but then later on the plan check letter said, where are the demo calcs? It seems like they should be there with the plan. DBI officials have stated that vertical additions are the most common source of unauthorized demolitions. They said that a few years ago when you had another joint hearing. The demo calcs must be provided intake in this new system regardless of the separate issue that the demo calcs also need to be adjusted per planning code section 317 B2D. Thank you very much. That's for you all. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Sean Kigren, Residential Builders Association. I'm here today to urge a big pause on the idea of moving the site permit process to the planning department. While discussions about a possible move may or may not be worthy of our time, it is a very, very bad idea to move anything without the process and the tools and the pieces being fixed first. It's also unrealistic to assume that plans can be simultaneously plan checked until it's approved by planning. The types of projects that, become, that come before this commission go through several, sometimes 10, sometimes as many as 15 different revisions. We will be happy with one effective and efficient round of plan checking. It is totally, completely unrealistic to think that other departments are going to plan check our projects each time we make a submittal, knowing that the project may experience multiple rounds of revisions. If we do have a pause, it doesn't mean that we can't start addressing many of the broken pieces. And I would urge this to commission 
these commissions to start addressing those issues. Let's start with planning. What about the backlog? Why does it take three to five weeks to get a written response back from the RDT team? How about the planners calling the project sponsors back within 24 hours? Why does it take four to five weeks for our 311 notices to go out after the envelopes are pre-addressed and stamped? It's not just planning, but if the planning department wants more, they need to do what they have to do better first. Building department, I'm happy that they have taken the lead. They have issued a very refined and specific list of what needs to be on a site permit, but they again can do more. The, in, in the urgency of time here, what about the other departments, DPW, PUC? Does a project need to go to DPW five or six times, depending upon the agenda schedule, each time two to six months? It is absolutely Thank ridiculous. You, is the development time. community knows the process is broken, and they won't be back until it's fixed. Okay, seeing no additional members of the public in the chambers coming forward, let's go to our remote callers. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Jake Price on behalf of the Housing Action Coalition. Um, I'd like to first share my gratitude to both department staff and Michael Christensen in particular, who have been really uh, hard at work in creating this proposed reform. Uh, we would like to see the most effective policy to get permits done more efficiently, regardless of any potential politics at play. So with that being said, we are very encouraged about the nearly unanimous public support for process reform and want to specifically call out our support for using digital tools from start to finish. Uh, it's about time, I will add. Uh, we would like to continue to, or we will continue to solicit feedback from our membership, which spans the entire housing construction industry, and look forward to sharing our feedback with the departments and commissions. Uh, so we are really encouraged by this initial presentation and look forward to seeing successful improvements throughout the permitting process. Thanks. Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so I just want to kind of follow up similarly to what's one of the speakers said, I think ultimately this is going to be about accountability. And one of the main problems I've had in working on site permits is to getting answers, responses, and how long it takes. Um, emails usually doesn't get respond, uh, response until multiple ones that are um, sent. Phone calls are almost impossible to get a response from a planner. So. Although the proposed plan is uh, in concept sounds good, but ultimately I think someone has to be, especially when there are multiple departments are involved, that who is going to be responsible, accountable for it? Is the planner going to organize everything and respond quickly and then be able to gather all the other departments' comments and making sure that they respond in a timely manner if there are questions that come up? So essentially, that's my main comment. Just to me, it's going to be going to be about accountability. Thank you. Um, hi, um, I'm a resident who is um, in the uh, maze of what you've been hearing about today. 
Um, and I want to put on the record, and I've always known this, that it isn't about neighbor opposition and a few people opposing different projects that holds up these projects. We all know that, but yet the, uh, the narrative is that it's neighbors that are holding it up. But I hope people would be a little bit more honest than that. So I own a two unit, actually three unit. The third was an unwarranted apartment for, for, and a person lived in there for 45 years. It has safe egress, it, it's tall enough, it's not underground. The ground floor apartment, it has windows, it has everything. And the person passed away. Um, it is a rent controlled building. I followed all the rules. I thought it would be a few months to be able to offer another small apartment to some person. And now we're into a year and a half. It just made it through planning. Um, it's now going through permitting. It's been two and a half months. So far, it's the one tree in, that I chose to put in um, has been approved. A permit was issued for that. Um, and then an article said that I could expect an average of 450 days till a shovel goes in the ground. But anyway, I want to ask that uh, you, you get um, look back with this process that happens to see what the timelines actually are for people. Um, there's a 90-day timeline, I understand, for legal for new ADUs, but you have 25,000 unwarranted in the city, and nobody is going to be going through what I go, am going through right now um, to get those uh, legalized unless you shorten the timeline. And um, I think there should be separate departments for Thank you, but that is your time. Of Hi, my name is Dennis Richards, and the word that I would use to describe this improvement is hallelujah. When I sat on joint meetings with the Building Inspection Commission and Planning Commission, we talked about Excella and legal demos. We had a hand wringing, but nothing ever got accomplished. I really have to say that it looks like there's a new day here with the housing element, the aggressive targets and the timelines that we're faced with. This process is incredibly welcome and timely. I wanna commend President Tanner and President Vito, Liz Wadi and our counterpart at DPI for really sticking their neck out and really wanting to create change in a positive way. If you look at the AIA report from 2004, it was updated in 2007, that report called for these exact kind of process improvements 20 years ago. We're a city that leads in innovation, or at least we think we are, yet the current processes and systems, and pardon my French, is a total clusterfuck. It needs to be trashed, and this process will do it. This process is a good government, common sense, efficient, it creates certainty up front for the developer, it increases the timeline and speeds up production of housing. It's transparent. It's customer friendly. It's automated. And it provides accountability. This is a 10 out of the 10, and I hope that you would all support this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm incredulous that we're, we're here, but I'm, I'm welcoming it. Thank you very much. Okay, last call for public comment. Again, if you're in the chambers, please come forward. If you're calling in remotely, you need to press star three or raise your hand via WebEx. 
Seeing, okay. Let's go to our remote caller. My name is Ed Cervantes, and I'm an architect here in San Francisco. And I just want to address that it's great that these changes are going forward, but it's not only, um, it's not only, uh, sorry, it's not only uh, planning and the building department. What I find for larger projects, it's dealing with PG&E. Um, uh, for utility connections, it's also uh, dealing with DPW. It seems that none of the departments are talking together. And that really needs to happen with the software that's uh, one of the, the people uh, talking today about this. It really needs to function in a, a better manner, especially and and really say if the departments are having problems with personnel, that especially with DPW, that you contract those services out to outside the city. So for a small project, especially with the ABUs, to wait four months for DPW to respond when it's already been over the counter is really hindering any kind of new business starting up in some of the projects that I'm working on. And shared space is another issue too for business owners. Thank you. This is Sue Hester. I want to uh, urge with a couple other people that the planning department and the building department use the same computer system. That is a long time overdue. You haven't had a report today from the building department. I don't know what they're planning on doing. So one of the things that should be a priority is the same computer system for tracking projects. That's really important to the public, and there has been some manipulation that has resulted in the litigation and sentencing of people uh, around people from DBI going into uh, the process informally and not being trackable on Acela. Acela is a trackable system, and so I want you to use that. I think basically changes are needed, and this is the first step, but I will, I'm looking forward to a report from DBI staff because they shouldn't have to fire people because they're um, interrupting the flow of permits. Thank you very much. Okay, final last call. Seeing no additional requests to speak, commissioners, public comment is closed, and this matter is now before you all. Great, thank you. Thank you to all those who called in and to those who are still here in the chamber, um, which is great. You didn't even make your comments and leave, so we're gonna have a, a really good discussion today. Um, I wanna start with a few comments and questions. Um, one of the things that I think has been pretty effective in both, we see it, we see it both coming from the state um, some folks have referenced different state laws that have mandated certain time frames for review. Um, so the Permit Streamlining Act, of course, but also local legislation. So thinking about Prop H and the way that it said, okay, all the departments, thou shalt do this by this time, and this is what's going to happen. And wow, staff really figured out how to make that work and how to figure out the back end so we could effectively enact that policy and have it be working. So what it shows is that timelines work. Our staff can figure out how to work across departments when, when they have the incentive and the direction to do so. 
And so I hope that as this process moves forward, maybe we don't need legislation, but I hope if, if legislation is part of this, that it does have timelines that are realistic, but also moving at the pace of development, moving at the pace that we want, and knowing that we can then rise to meet that occasion. So I think that's one thing I would look forward to as staff keep working on this project, is to figure out what are those timelines. We have the timelines from the Permit Streamlining Act in terms of what we need to do to meet state requirements, but what is it for other projects um, that we want to meet, and what does it exactly mean to meet those? Um, I I think part of the state's permit streamlining acts, you have 30 days to kind of say, is your project got everything submitted so that we can review it, or is there incomplete? And so what we don't want to have happen is on that 29th day, we're sending out lots of letters saying, oh, you forgot something, right? And so, yes, we're meeting the letter of the law, but we're not meeting the spirit of the law, which is really to try to have um, responsiveness, which also goes to some of the comments we heard today, which is just staff being responsive. Um, and I hope that by having metrics, having timelines that are clear, that incentivizes both quick response, but also we can work on our customer service, you know, and that we can make sure we're calling people back we're emailing people back, and I know we're all inundated and, and short staff, but I really want to think about how we, um, what, what are the expectations that we have for staff and how long it should take to get back to someone? Is it 24 hours? Is it 48 hours? You know, what are the ways that we're really um, meeting that commitment to the public? With that, I had a couple questions, um, which is to just ask staff if we have currently in this proposal any metrics for timeline or we want to see a total number of days to get this permit um, published or issued, what are we looking at in terms of what we think an ideal timeline is for this revised process? Sure, I'm happy to take a stab at it. Liz Wadi, Director of Current Planning. I actually think the, the driving factor for timelines right now is actually an effort that the planning department is taking on independent of this larger process. As, I, as we mentioned to our planning commission a few weeks ago when we were presenting, we have a lot of different tangential efforts going on at the same time, but there's a lot of overlap. So one of the core efforts we're working on in the planning department that we are seeking to launch come July 1 um, is to really enhance and change our processes so we can ensure compliance with the Permit Streamlining Act and Housing Accountability Act. And so what that will mean moving forward and where this will all feed into, which will lead to very objective timelines, is from the day that you, you know, file your permit, pay for your application, et cetera, that you will get a completeness application in 30 days. Um, we are working, knowing that this effort is moving forward, we're in the process of doing that discovery work with DBI to make sure that when we do make this transition, that completeness check is comprehensive. Um, it includes all the building code requirements, the stamping, the licensure, all of the right requirements that DBI currently checks for. We wanna make sure that will be part of that comprehensive 30-day check. Second to that, once we have an, a complete application, we're going to ensure that we get a comprehensive plan check that we need our trained planners and our plan checkers in all of our sister agencies. That will be a 30-day consolidated set of comments. So it's embedded within that effort that the planning department's already taking on, and we will, we will do that come July 1, even if this process is, has not yet advanced yet. Um, and hopefully, as part of that, we're also able to show sort of that first step of good faith that you know, we're gonna start issuing these completeness letters for planning um, and the plan check letters within 30 days, um, respectively, and then hopefully that'll give us also a little bit of that credibility that um, as we're making these changes that we're capable of then integrating um, other agencies' feedback within to that timeline as well. Can you, and I don't know if it's you, Ms. Wadi, or if it'll be you, Mr. Christensen, to talk about, you know, we heard a comment which, which I can appreciate, which is, okay, we get the 30-day 30 30 comprehensive, um, kind of aligning with the Permit Streamlining Act. Folks do or don't have everything we need. Let's say they're comprehensive, they're moving forward, then they're getting 30-day consolidated um, plan check comments with all the departments, you know, it, when this goes through. 
But then what about like cycle one, cycle two, cycle three? So like how many rounds of review, you know, do we anticipate? And then what's the expectation for that? Or, you know, and is the planner maybe kind of combining with that? Is the planner, which in my understanding is kind of set up as the project manager, but I don't know if that's really true. Are they the one-stop shop that then is really coordinating with the other departments? Or is the applicant needing to contact each reviewing department in addition to the planner you know, to real, so just walk us through how this is actually going to work. Like, if if you are, were pl the planner on this project and or the applicant kind of dealing with it, how are these cycles going to go, and then how is it an improvement from what we currently have today? I'd like to add to that question and just clarify a couple of things. Um, so one question, and it was a note that I wrote down listening to public comment, is there one, a project planner or a project manager that's so this is actually for Liz Waddy or, or my Christians, and also for Neville as well, but, but more so for the planning department that if the intake is at planning, is there currently, because this is a new system, will there be a designated project manager that shepherds this project through? And that just doesn't mean in planning, but there are the point they're the point of contact for all the other interdepartmental. They're the person that's responsible for fielding this concurrently. So that's one question. <clears throat> the second question is based on um, President Tanner's, uh, just appending her question about the timelines. Not every project that can be processed as quickly as, we would, as, as applicants would like to. The more complex projects will take unfortunately years, and some of us that are architects know what that's like. But I think what, what the applicants and the public want to know, um, what is the expected timelines for different types of projects, and, and setting that as an expectation. One, there's a 30-day cycle that you've talked about that we're pretty clear about the Streamlining Act. But given the difference between a single-family home and a 300-unit multi-family high-rise, what is the expectation? Because some of the timelines I've heard even today and in the past have just exceeded what I would expect for a large-scale project. Sure. So maybe I'll, I'll tackle a couple and then I'll let Mike tackle a couple. Um, I would say for your first question, Commissioner Beto, as it relates to the project manager, part of our goal here is to have... Um, and I, I hate to think of it as a, as a project manager, but it's really more of one singular city point of contact. So one human that you can contact who's working on your project, who can help resolve either the question or make sure that somebody does respond to your question, who's the right technical expert. So as part of this um, process, that will be your planner. Um, and so if you do ultimately have a question that the planner can't answer, let's say there was a comment that came from fire um, that the applicant just doesn't understand, um, certainly the applicant can call the fire department if they want to and they know that person, et cetera. But what we often hear is it would be nice to have one person who, help, who can help facilitate a conversation, and that would be the planner. So the planner is not expected to know that technical information. I would certainly not want my staff to be burdened with that obligation. But they can be that sort of the wheel to the spokes of, of coordination and communication to make sure that the applicant feels heard and gets their questions answered. I also think one of the benefits that, that we're seeing in this as we've um, sort of audited other city agencies, and obviously we have a lot of planners who've worked in other cities, um, that one of the benefits that often come from a system like this that other cities have is that you know, the, the planners, the staff start building relationships with one another. And we actually saw this through some of the ADU roundtables pre-COVID, particularly when we had a, an in-person roundtable with interagencies. 
it was the same staff people who were, who were staffing those roles from fire and public works and DBI and planning, and they develop relationships in the sense of they, they know each other, they can go and ask questions, and it sort of breaks down those interagency silos that unfortunately right now the system just has those silos, so we don't often know our peers in other agencies. And I think as part of doing this, we will get to know those folks, and it will help facilitate answering what are sometimes simple questions um, that can have quick answers if we just can have a quick conversation. So that's sort of the, the project manager role that we're, we're anticipating here. Um, with regard to the sort of the cycles of, of review, I'll maybe um, hand that over to Mike. Sure, um, thank you for the question, Michael Christensen, Permit Center. Um, and I have kind of three, three main things to say here. Um, first, your, to your comment on Prop H, one of the reasons we are successful with Prop H and we can review things in a 30-day window is in addition to the permit tracking system, we have a layer that operates above it. It's operating in a system called Airtable, and it was designed by our partners at Digital Services to help facilitate this review and make sure permits get where they need to go. And just having a tool that you can use to know what you need to work on and know what the due date helps that so much. And we've heard from partners across the city how much they like that system because it, it's a lot easier to use. Um, so we want to take that model and carry it forward on a, on a bigger scale. We're not replacing every permit process in the city. We're starting with site permits, which are a fairly small volume. Um, but we want to take that successful model and use that to facilitate it. Uh, second, in terms of getting permits where they need to go, um, you know, I want to make sure not give any planners panic attacks that, you know, we are, we do want a layer of project management, but we want to leverage tools like Acela to do this routing. Um, it, it's really surprising how much city process currently today happens over email. Um, a lot of interagency referrals, including most of the ones that the planning department receives today, happen with a different agency, um, like public works for subdivisions. They have their own system, but to send something to planning, they don't send it through the system. They extract files, attach it to an email, email it to somebody in planning who then puts it in our system. Um, we're designing this specifically so that that routing is much more automated, so that when a revision comes in, the planner doesn't need to find somebody at DBI to review it and manually do that. It's as simple as uploading it into a cella, reopening the task, putting the due date, setting it up for success, and then also so that we can report on that and be proactive, because I don't want the planners to need to, on day 28, start hounding somebody for comments. That's a management decision. Um, and finally, just to reiterate Liz's point, you know, working in the East Bay, I used to work for the city of Hayward, we had a great relationship with other agencies like Public Works and the building department. Um, and it was, it was shocking when I first came here. And for years, I never talked to anybody in DBI, let alone really knew anybody. Um, and we, we really want to use this as a way to build better relationships so that we can be better coordinated. And I think that's one of the best um, outcomes we could see from this. Do you, do you anticipate, though, that, you know, let's say you, you, the project goes out, goes to all the departments, we get a round of comments. I mean, some of the common things, and, and maybe this isn't for you to answer now, but something that as we go forward, we need to figure out whether it's the legislation or the, the management side of it, which is two things, which is how to deal with the multiple cycles of review, which often can result from conflicting comments from different agencies. And if there's not an individual who is charged with resolving those comments or at least getting those two or three or whoever actors to talk together to build on your relationships comment to say, you said this, she said that, and combine the applicant can't 
appease either of you because mm -hmm. what they will do to resolve the comment will be conflicting with one of you, then we've got to figure that out. And so, you know, some cities, um, to your point, have coordinators who are just really coordinating the permits and they're not necessarily specialists in anything. And so if, if the planning department or whatever department is taking on this kind of lead contact role, there needs to be some training for staff on that on all levels and how to do that. What are the expectations? And so that their lateral relationships understand that, hey, I may be you know, in another department, I'm bugging you about this thing, but I'm charged with that duty. No, I'm not your boss, I'm not your supervisor, but like mm -hmm. we are all charged to figure out this comment together so we can give it back to the applicant and so that they can have clarity on what they need to do so when they have a second cycle of review, they're not just trapped, right? Continuing to try to like make changes. And so I think, I want to hear, I think, more specificity in how the multiple cycles will work and even like how many cycles we think is appropriate. If somebody's getting to their third submittal, there's a problem, in my opinion. And it's either we're not being clear on what is needed, what is needed is being shifting, or maybe they're an applicant who continually is not, you know, responding to the comments. But like there needs to be a level where it says, okay, we're getting to the third cycle of review. What happens then, right? Who's get, getting kicked up to to figure out how to resolve this? Because it's wasting resources for the city if we're continuing to review projects and give feedback. Did you want to address that, Ms. Wadi? Yeah, I actually think one of the great, um, aspects of this effort that could help solve that, for example, is, is because we're leveraging an automated system, we can decide what, as a policy decision, what we think that right number of revisions is where maybe there needs to be intervention. Right now, there is no intervention at any number of revisions. They just keep going till it's resolved. Um, mostly, I mean, for two reasons. One, we have no way of tracking that. On a, on a macro level. As a manager, I have no idea how many le levels of review are undergoing on any project right now. I would have to truly dissect every single project. As a part of this, if we decided as a city that three rounds of revisions was the magic number where we needed a management intervention, for example, we could program the system to create a management report that runs for me every week that says the following eight projects hit three rounds of revisions and we need to tackle them in a different way. Like we, we now would ha will have the tools to decide what types of interventions are necessary and whether that's two rounds, three rounds, four rounds, whatever it is, we now have the tools to make more educated management choices that right now we just don't have the ability to do. I think your counterpart, Mr. Pereira, I think wants to add something. Thank you very much, uh, President Tanner. Neville Pereira, Deputy Director, uh, Permit Services. Uh, I just want to let you know that uh, a lot of these things that we're talking about right now as far as revision control are now currently in place and, and people are being retrained uh, at DBI to make sure that we don't go beyond two revisions without involving a supervisor and then it, it escalates to a manager. Um, to uh, uh, one of the public's uh, comments, these processes are being implemented today. Even Liz Wadi's group in planning are implementing these things today. We're just formalizing it under the site permit uh, process. There's new leadership, particularly in DBI, and these things are already happening. I just want to underscore that. If you could stay there for a moment, because I'd like to <laughs> this is this is like what happens when you have two people that know this process is we're gonna just bounce off each other like uh, good. like tennis balls here um, so there's a couple of things that I'm hearing in this in this meeting and a lot of it has which is great like the emphasis on technology and sort of automating things but I really want to I don't want to forget that a lot of this review and a lot of this process boils down to the people that are reviewing it. It boils down to the plan checker. So uh, for 
you know, and I'm, I, I'm not sure why, you know, Liz was a little reticent on calling it a project manager, but that's really what a planner, a project planner will do, is she will, that person, he or she will manage that process. They're not responsible for answering all the comments, especially from the other interdepartmental, interdepartmental review. Uh, but they are the person that helps shepherd the project. And, and if notwithstanding that that project is, is met all the requirements, um, from planning code that they're advocating as it approaches the end of the, their cycle of reviews. The question about the review cycles, though, and how many they are, how long it will take, is as an architect, one of the things that you hope you get for a large or medium size or small projects when you're submitting a, a set of plans, whether that's for a building permit or planning permit, is that you're receiving the bulk, if not all, of the comments from any single department, whether that's fire, building, PW. And what, what helps determine how many cycles you're going to ultimately resolve and, and, and ascertain approval is you take that list and you do your best to answer, answer the question. And sometimes you don't answer the question, so you have to go back again. But you know from the very beginning what all the questions and the comments are. So that, to me, is a, a big part of um, setting an expectation with your applicant or project sponsor is doing that very comprehensive review at the very beginning so they know what they're working towards, especially at the planning level. Would you, would you like to add anything? to? So I think that that's part of that. I mean, we can talk about you know uh, EPR, um, the tracking system. But it's really the person that's reviewing the plan that's going to put together those comments. And there are a lot of comments that you'll go, th and, I'm in this, and the planning department has, and, and I'm sure DBI has too, when they were doing their exploratory review with other um, agencies from Southern California all the way up to Northern California about how, what types of checklists that they use and what types of comments that they typically see for certain types of projects, whether that's a single family home, uh, a, a, you know, a duplex, a multifamily, a commercial. So the, the comments that they'll, that an applicant, if they've worked in that jurisdiction a lot, will expect those you know, as part of their review. So if you want to respond to that, you know, Deputy Director, I would like to hear what you'd have to say about that in terms of at the planning level, but also at the building permit level. Yeah, you're absolutely right, President Beto. Um, it, that's uh, Plan Chicken 101, right? You want to give as complete a review the first time as, as, as possible. Um, and Liz and I have talked about this. Um, it, it does concern, um, I think, everyone involved if, if something goes multiple rounds in the planning cycle. You know, what do we do then as far as this concurrent review? But uh, that will be that's part of the details. Um, we at DBI have been... Uh, uh, really training our staff, uh, not only in light of the, the recent memo by, uh, by Director Reardon, but in general, how to look at site permits with a fresh perspective. We, we've heard at the, the Code Advisory Committee just yesterday how our, um, our corrections have ratcheted it up over the years, right? That memo um, is no, is, was essentially what site permitting started at. Um, 40 years ago, whenever this started, but over over the years, it, it morphed into something else. Um, but in, in the course of our training with staff, and we do this on a weekly basis, we've learned to uh, lessen our our uh, investigation to just the uh, the broad overview. And and 
and yet leave enough breadcrumbs for the applicant to let them know these are the things that are going to come up at, uh, at full construction document. Um, if they're missing sections, for example, to determine height or ceiling height or that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll write the comment, but not expect a, a revision back. That's, that's the whole um, scope of this, which is very different from how a building plan checker, maybe a, a public works or fire plan checker is used to, to commenting. They usually want to see a revision back that's, that's, a, that's correct. But here we're just leaving enough uh, comments or conditions of approval um, to, to deal with it at the, at, the, at the construction document stage. Just one more comment, and then I want to. I know we have other commissioners here, so if you all want to start lighting up um, your lights, um, I actually want to just shift gears really quickly. Thank you, Mr. Pereira. And we heard a lot of comments about the Department of Public Works. I know there's a couple staff here in the room, so if, I'm not sure which of you want to take the comment from the Department of Public Works, but perhaps we'll we'll summarize it to say if you could shed some light into perhaps why things do take um, as long as they may take to get through your agency and what improvements you have planned or foresee that could help to uh, speed things up and be partners in at least our housing element and also certainly our economic recovery. Um, we would love to hear from you. Of course, well thank you for having me. I'm Deborah Lutsky with Public Works. Um, and we have been brought into this process now and we are 100% committed to this. So I want you guys to hear that from us. Um, our number one priority is safety. So we won't stray from that responsibility as our agency needs to make sure that things are safe in the public right of way. Um, but we have recently started working on this effort. We have been doing concurrent efforts recently as well and we're going to be melding them and integrating them. Um, we are gonna be working with applicants to better support um, this parallel review. So one of the big challenges right now is we're kind of at the end of the process and we don't get to see plans early. We wanna have this concurrent review. So with this new process, we will be able to see plans earlier, work with applicants earlier, provide feedback earlier, have better checklists earlier so we can get better plans. The better plans we can get in, the shorter timeline and review, the less reviews, the less iterative processes. So this is really important to us as well. Great, thank you very much, and glad to have you here with us. I'm gonna to go to Commissioner Diamond really quick, and then um, Commissioner Braun, and then if you wanna take it back after that, President. Commissioner Diamond. Thank you. Um, in addition to concerns about DPW, I heard concerns expressed about fire and PG&E, and I wonder if city staff could tell us where you are in the conversation about bringing in fire and in the status of any conversations with PG&E, which obviously isn't a city agency, but is an important component in this process. Sure, so I, I will address fire. Liz Vladi will be able to address the PG&E question. Um, the fire department, we've had preliminary conversations. Um, unfortunately, Chief Harold was not able to attend today. Um, but like all, we've been working very, Permit Center's been working very closely with the fire department on a number of initiatives, um, replacing some other systems, replacing their cashiering. Um, they are very eager to improve and are a partner in this project as well. So we will continue to work with them. Um, apologize that we couldn't have a representative here today. Um, but, but like all agencies, we do believe that by really clearly defining what it is that they need to do at this stage, really kind of setting them up for success by giving them proper tools, that we will be able to do this work faster. Um, and I'm happy to follow up with additional information if, if you'd like. 
And just to touch on the PG&E issue, um, really when we're talking about PG&E, we're mostly talking about transformer vaults and electrical meter rooms. Um, and I would say two things on that. One, we are working very closely with uh, Deborah Lutsky and her team at Public Works to flesh out a more robust um, MOU with Public Works. And our goal in doing that is to also make sure it's in alignment with PG&E so that they don't come and counter sort of the, the city family MOU that we're developing to give greater certainty to applicants um, around how to site and design those, those really critical rooms. Um, but in addition to that, I think we've also heard through this process loud and clear that transformer vaults are an issue and we need to get a better handle on, on the issue and try to be a part of, the, of problem solving that um, so that we don't just throw our hands up in the air and say, well, it's PG&E. And that's kind of been the response to date. And, and we hear it and we hear the frustration with that and we really wanna help be partners. Um, I would say right now, I don't necessarily have a, a silver bullet solution of how we're gonna do that, um, but we do, there, there have been some staffing changes at PG&E and um, I know we have been in discussions with the mayor's office, both Public Works and I, um, about sitting down and trying to craft some solutions. So I'm hopeful that, again, as, as Mike said at the beginning, this is not a fully fleshed project yet. We're in the sort of the feedback collecting stage, so that feedback is being heard loud and clear, and that hopefully as we're developing this, um, this project over the next month, uh, over the summer months, um, we'll be able to really tackle um, this issue, and I'm hopeful that this will be one of the really great outputs is um, greater clarity on that issue. Great, thank you. So um, I want to align myself with the concern about um, not actually calling what you're doing project management um, and not owning that because I think that's what you're describing sounds like it should be project management and that there should be one person who's responsible to interface with the public and interface internally so that if there's any kind of issue with a project, conflicting comments, things taking too long, and if planning's gonna own it, then it really needs to own it, which is to say, yes, we're responsible, we'll go, you know, well, you know, whoever the person is personally isn't gonna, you know, give a determination on a conflict, they're responsible for going out and resolving the conflict or figuring out why it's taking too time, so much time, or figuring out why so many revisions are there. And I'm concerned about the hesitancy I hear in your responses to the other two commissioners about um, actually calling out what I think the public is saying they need and want, and I think we want, which is uh, the accountability that, that, that is um, consistent with ownership of the problem. So uh, I'll just put that out there, and I'm hoping that's what you're, you're really going to be doing. Sure, and it might be just a little bit more of the semantics. I also you know, heard some, some members of the public that they were resistant to having planning playing a project management role. No, we absolutely, I mean, if we take a step back, we, we play a project management role, for example, with entitlements. Um, and I think about this more almost internally within the planning department, um, where in the current planners that you often see before you at commission are interfacing with our, our colleagues in our environmental planning division or our design review staff or our historic preservation staff and are really taking taking in feedback from a lot of different people and pulling it together even if they're not the technical experts. And so we see that being a very analogous role. So I think we can, we can agree that it's project management. I was, I was more just hesitant in the term for, for some of the other pushback, but the intention is that they will be facilitating um, resolution of issues even if they are not the technical answers, but they will, they will um, 
have those one-on-one -on -one conversations. And if at a staff level it can't be resolved, certainly at a management level, we are prepared at planning to be the solution for getting resolution. Okay. Um, I want to follow up on the first part of your response where you said you heard some comments from the public, I assume you mean Mr. Keegren, about whether or not planning should be owning this process. Correct. Um, I will say what I heard was general consensus among the architect community who spoke about being excited about this process. Um, and the only representative of contractors we heard was Mr. Keegren. And I think that his concerns um, are important because we need to make sure that this process is also responsive to how contractors um, experience this process. So I'm wondering, have you had detailed discussions with contractors, with him, about their concerns about this process? It sounded like he was just getting launched in his three minutes and had a lot more to say. And I'm wondering whether or not you know, um, the process might benefit by hearing more about what his issues are or the group he represents are so that those concerns, uh, concerns can be resolved as you work through the details of this process? Sure, so we absolutely have met with um, Mr. Keegren several times um, and uh, to hear the uh, concerns and want to hear more. Um, I, I certainly know, I mean, I don't want to speak for Mr. Keegren, but I know the RBA does represent more than just contractors. They do include a lot right. of architects as well. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of sort of overlap of different um, interest groups. But by all means, again, we we want to hear what the pinch points are in the, in the process for everyone, whether it's single family homeowners who are developing, where they're um, maybe only using a contractor, whether you're using a really sophisticated architect, or whether you're doing tower like we want to hear where all of the different pinch points are happening in the process so we can really use this as an opportunity to fix what is systemically broken um, so absolutely we are open for more conversations and I think from our perspective specific examples specific pinch points so we can help problem solve a resolution um, we don't want to overlook any um, you know interest group community anyone who's doing work with the city we want to understand what their pain points are Okay, well, I, I can't speak to, but I heard lots of comments about uh, and concerns expressed about how this process is really going to work with um, multiple revisions um, and uh, simultaneous review. And while there are benefits, there are also concerns that uh, come with that process. And so I, at least I, for one, would like to know that you're meeting with them and to go over this in more detail to see if there isn't a way to get better alignment. Um, on those parts of the process as well. Absolutely, and, and one of the ideas that we've been thinking that we might be doing over this summer is to, to host some um, smaller groups where we can walk through some example projects mm -hmm. um, because I think sometimes this gets very theoretical um, and I think if we can just get, you know, let's, let's, give a pro let's go through a project that had some pains and walk through what it went through and what it would go through. Yeah. <laughs> Great, so three more small comments. Um, I love the idea that you're going digital and that this can all be done through um, one system. You said, Excella, can you make sure um, that for homeowners that are trying to access the system through Excella, that it's as simple as it is when you work at an architectural firm um, or the city where you have way more powerful computers? I am concerned that homeowners are trying to use Excella main encounter more difficulties. And so I want to make sure that if you're relying on Excella, that it really works for people with a, you know, a single laptop at home. Sure. And the, the great thing about Excella is the interface that you would be using is the website. It's mm -hmm. like going on Amazon.com. 
And this contrasts to some of the other systems that the city currently uses for electronic plan review that might require you to install a program locally on your machine that might use a lot of resources and that might also cost a few hundred dollars. So, mm -hmm. so this is a, a system that we can use that would have no cost and would be browser-based. Um, so you would just open um, whatever internet browser and make an account and navigate through that. Okay, I'm just saying try it out um, yeah. by having people at home use it. Uh, I know when I used to sell it a few years ago, um, mm -hmm. I found it very awkward and, and complicated on a home computer. Last time I used it, it was much faster um, mm -hmm. and seemed to be much simpler, so there may have been improvements in the program itself, but mm -hmm. I, I just wanna make sure that it works well for people who are sitting at home, that if sure. we're relying on it, they need to be able to access it simply. Uh, two more comments. So. We hear over and over again from um, uh, homeowners, usually adjacent homeowners to project sponsors, that they're really worried about geotech issues and whether or not the construction is going to undermine their foundations. And our typical response is, oh, that's not our you know, issue right now. Building will deal with that later. Does that change as a result of this process, or is that answer going to remain the same? So there are certain triggers for when a geotechnical report is required. Uh, right now, you might get that request at different moments in time. It might come later in the process when you hit the Department of Building Inspection review in that second phase, or it might come from planning during an environmental review. Um, but the triggers are um, defined. It's based on the slope of the lot, whether you're in a slope protection zone, the amount of excavation. Uh, like Liz Body mentioned, there the planning department is looking to develop checklists for intake that would really clearly define these triggers and when it is required. And so if a geotechnical report is required as part of the city's review, the intent is to get that to the applicant at, in that first 30 days so that it's available throughout the review and it's not something that becomes available after the planning commission has already seen it and when it goes to that second phase. Um, and the intent is also to make that um, checklist public, which is required, so people can understand what that trigger is. Beyond that, you know, if there if there is any discussion of kind of expanding when a geotech is required, that you know, that obviously is a separate conversation. Yeah, I wasn't talking about expanding that requirement. It was just making clear to the public or neighbors or people who file DR about what the role of the planning commission is with geotech and what it's not, and mm -hmm. you know. If that isn't a process that's more appropriately handled as we say it is, you know, later down the line, then we ought to be making that really clear to people up front. But if as a result of this new process you're talking about that happens sooner, then, you know, maybe that is a subject that comes up at, at, at planning. I, I, I don't know. I just raise it because it feels to me like every second week um, it, some homeowner uh, who has some kind of uh, concern about a project is often referenced. Uh, concerned about undermining of their foundation uh, or the slope issue. Sure, and um, I will allow Neville, I think he has some responses for DBI, but we do understand it is, it can be confusing where sometimes it's required during environmental review with planning, mm -hmm. sometimes it's required at DBI, and that misalignment can be difficult to navigate, and that's definitely something we want to address here. And for, I'll turn to Neville. Mm -hmm. um, yes, Commissioner Diamond, Neville Pereira. Uh, I just wanted to uh, further elaborate that uh, we do intend to to bring that matter up uh, as far as that a geotechnical review is needed as close to that 30 days or you know when we do our review. Um, the fact of the matter is uh, 
usually do you, during your environmental review, uh, during the planning or the planning, uh, you know, uh, entitlement, the geotechnical uh, report is going to be somewhat of a pre preliminary report just because the design is not developed uh, fully and they don't have the loads and that kind of stuff. So as long as you, you understand that going forward, yes, the applicant will be notified as early in the process as possible. We will, as Michael says, have this information on our website and uh, in checklists all over the place for the, for the public to know. It's just that there may be two versions of it which may exacerbate you know, the costs, so to speak. I'm not, just to be clear, I'm not advocating that it should become an issue that the Planning Commission adds to its review. Um, I, believe me, I'm not. <laughs> but I, I do want to make it, un, make it very well understood to neighbors that it is an area of concern. It will be appropriately addressed. And uh, at the moment, you know, our standard response is that will come later. You know, this is not the right form. And I just want to make sure, as you're thinking about how to coordinate all of these issues, that that is the right response. I, as it. I said, I'm not advocating a position. I just want to let you know that it's a concern we hear expressed by adjacent neighbor, uh, neighbors all the time, yeah. and that we should be um, very clear, based upon your internal discussions, about where and how that is best handled. Correct. Okay. Thank you. And then my last question or really comment was, it was with dismay that I heard architect Calhoun say that she never advises her clients to use the site permit process, that she wants them to use the full permit process because of the length of time, uh, duplication of reviews. It feels like that's the exact opposite of um, what this process is supposed to accomplish, the site permit process. Um, and I'm hoping that as a result of this process, you know, maybe you're the test, uh, Ms. Calhoun. If you start advocating for your clients to use the site permit process, maybe we'll know it's been successful. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I will say it sounded like, based upon the statistics you gave, that perhaps, you know, she's an outlier. It does sound like most people are using the site permit process. Is that what I heard you say at the beginning, except for sheds in the backyard? So for, if you want to build a new building, um, that was where we saw that 96% of our new construction permits are using site permits except for the seven sheds. Um, for alterations, it's a little bit more mixed, um, and it, it depends on the extent of alterations. Um, but, but really, the, the flow that is being described where you go through a planning review that is quick and concise and defined and to the point, and then you add some sheets and turn it into buildings so that they can do their construction review. That really is the model that we're trying to get at here. Um, and it, it may not be one permit number, but the, the basic kind of interactions with the city, that is really what we're trying to get to. Great. Thank you very much. Go ahead, yeah. Mr. Pereira. I did want to add, to add to that because um, I, I do want to understand what Serena Calhoun's uh, talking about, uh, and it is a concern. And I think there's there's a general misconception about the process that we're we're planning here that uh, it's going to be very much similar to the existing process. Uh, in my in a conversation with um, with somebody who's here in the room yesterday, if you can imagine, as you get close to the end of the development permit and um, the planning process. Generally, the design team activates and starts um, recognizing that they just got to go through the appeal process, and essentially, they're starting to generate construction drawings um, well in advance of maybe getting that, that final development permit. Um, we expect the issuance of the development permit to initiate the construction uh, phase 
and therefore immediately thereafter, I think Ms. Calhoun and Mr. Sanchez Correa will be happy to know that you, you will almost always be able to, to submit you know, a full construction set right there and then um, and not miss a beat. This will be an automatic issuance. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't even have to show up or pay additional fees to start that process, at least until the details get worked out. But I think it'll be overall, uh, it'll meet um, the majority of these smaller projects which uh, um, advocate for a full permit. And just also to clarify, this process that, that Ms. Calhoun, for example, is still using will still be available alongside this um, new one, which is they, yeah. folks can still submit full documents and full drawings and everything all at once if they choose that path. And then if they want to do this new path, new path, which will not be a site permit anymore, that will also be available. Is yeah, I think the way Liz and I talked about it is just the, the smaller permits or the, you know, the, the, the ones that want to go the full route, it will essentially be the same thing um, yeah, it'll, it'll still be there, yeah. Okay, great, thank you. <laughs> um, and I know we have some hands up. We've got uh, Commissioner Braun, Koppel, Alexander Tu, and then um, Commissioner Moore. And I don't know, if Raquel, if you wanted to get in the queue or if you... They're, they're in the queue. After Koppel, we'll go to Commissioner uh, Tu. Okay, great. Commissioner Braun? Thank you. Um, I have, there's a few items that we've t spoken about a little bit already, and I just have maybe some follow-up comments and questions. I mean, maybe more comments, but... In, Thinking about sort of planning staff's role now in serving this question of whether they're whether to think of them as a project manager for an application that comes in, um, you know, it seems like we're kind of talking about two different things. There's the element of this to me that's sort of their management of something moving through the process internally, with the sort of interdepartmental review process um, during during plan check, and then there's also the part of this that is about them that planner serving as sort of the main point of contact for the project sponsor who submitted something. And so I think I just want to start by kind of discussing the internal process a little bit. Um, and, and just to say that, you know, I see there, I think we, we kind of addressed this, but I just see it as so important that um, the comments being given back to somebody who submitted uh, something for plan check uh, really do not conflict. And I know that President Tanner mentioned this too, um, but it does seem like that's going to be a pretty big burden, responsibility that lands on the planning staff member, the current planner, who is having to see that there might be conflicts between guidance given by different departments back to the applicant. Um, and, you know, I work with cities all the time in my professional career, work for cities all the time, and you can really tell the ones we're planning we're, with staff there's clearly somebody who feels empowered to be able to make decisions and be able to kind of ask for things to be resolved. Um, so I would just say, I, I don't know if there's a, any response to that, but I, I would just say I, it's important that that person be able to play that role. Sure, uh, Michael Christensen, Permit Center. Um, planners already are, in, to some degree, acting as a project manager and coordinating review. Um, so they are compiling comments, not only things that they generate, like the planning code compliance, which is usually an appendix A of a plan check letter, but also scheduling design review meetings, getting those comments back, um, coordinating with environmental planning on identifying what that process looks like and getting um, studies submitted by the applicant so that that can move forward. Um, and already coordinating things through interagency efforts like the Streetscape Design Advisory Team. Um, to some degree, that this is expanding that role and compiling the comments, and you know the I 
say two things. First, when my hesitancy to say the word project manager comes from um, spending the last year and a half as a project manager, <laughs> where a lot of it is managing people. And with this process, we really want, if there are issues with timelines and compliance, that that is a role that individual planners should not need to be contacting DPW, sorry, Public Works, to try to resolve. But that's something that a manager should be able to intervene without the customer needing to complain and without the planner needing to necessarily be involved. That's more of a management issue. And so we don't want to force that type of a level onto individual planners. We want that to be something that the department manages. Um, and then in terms of making sure that we resolve conflicts between um, commenters, right now where we don't have any real clear definition of who is responsible for what and what topics they should be reviewing, we do have conflicts. Um, it happens right now in planning where design review might have a certain comment that doesn't comply with the planning code, and then they have to figure out what, what we do with that. Um, but with other agencies, we, our intent here is to really clearly define who is responsible for what. Um, and these are all topics that are important for the planner to know. Uh, we are also really aware that you know things like the Streetscape Design Advisory Team, where we're already taking a bunch of interagencies together, there's opportunity for that to conflict when those agencies then do plan tracks. And so these are things that we're very aware of, and we want to build management and procedural steps on how to resolve these issues when they happen so that there's a very clear way of resolving these things, and planners are empowered to really be effective in this job. Um, it is something that, you know, the department, the planning department will will have a lot to step up for. Um, so it, it, it's definitely something we're working on. This is why we're here at a very preliminary level to to hear these concerns. Thank you for that. And and it's, I really appreciate that you're thinking very carefully about this. And I I just uh, just know the tip of the iceberg for all the <laughs> the managerial and communication and and uh, training issues that might sort of be implied in a lot of these changes. Um, so I, I do want to move on to a second comment then. Um, on the, I guess my, my other question or concern is kind of around staffing. Like if, if current planning is taking on some expanded responsibilities, I know that we heard that there's going to be some efficiencies now just through software and not needing to communicate over email for every little thing. But uh, it does seem like a lot uh, but also a lot of current planning's work is fee-for-service. So I, I guess I'm just trying to, I would just like to understand better, are there concerns about staffing capacity, budget, uh, being able to attract enough planners to do this? Like, what, what's the thinking there? I'm always happy to take additional FTEs at any <laughs> point in time. Um, so those can always keep coming. Um, but no, but with all sincerity, I, I do think... Um, you know, this is a challenge that we're going to have to rise to. But again, as part of our housing element, we've been told we have to. Um, and so we're taking that on. Um, part of it is decision making over priorities, um, shifting priorities. But part of it is, I think, better management, better tools, um, better sort of systems and structures so that we can be efficient in the work that we do and so that we can have accountability um, and transparency in the work that we do. I would say, you know, if we were to flash back a couple years ago, we didn't have management tools where our managers knew what projects were on a planner's desk and how long they had been on the planner's desks. 
it's really hard to manage effectively when you don't have that information. We do now. Um, we now have management dashboards that show projects that have not yet been assigned to planners and when they were accepted so that we can you know, sort oldest to newest. And I, I have literally in my iPad right now, I can see that in real time on every team. Um, and that is uh, a new development that our awesome IT team built for us over the last year. So things like that help make management decisions easier so that we can say, you know, okay, you know, yes, this applicant called and is cranky, but their project's only been in for a week. Um, this project's been in for three weeks. Let's tackle that one first. And um, it's let us be able to look at, you know, citywide and, and you know, we, uh, you know, about a year ago or so, we did a, a reorg within current planning and created new management teams. We're now able to look at the workloads on those teams and regularize the workloads. There were, had been times where maybe there was no backlog on one team, but four months on another other team, right? There are a lot of those things that are really like wonky internal things, um, but when you don't have the right tools and sort of 10,000 foot um, sort of snapshot of what's going on, it, it, it's hard to be in a you know, effective. And so a lot of these little improvements that we have made are going to this sort of top layer of where we are now of being able to um, say with a straight face that I think we can meet these timeframes. Again, I'll, I'll take as many FTs as get sent my way during, you know, budget addbacks or whatnot. Um, but, but at the end of the day, I think we can do that. There, there may be times though, and again, we've been tasked with housing projects are our priority. Um, and again, these tools let us all to also filter those projects to the top. Um, and so it lets us really decide as a city what are our priorities, what do we want to commit to, and how are we going to be transparent in communicating what those expectations are. Um, and I think we're entering into a phase where we actually are going to have the resources to be able to do that and, and talk about it. And in the instance, you know, maybe the, the blessing and the curse of the economy really rebounds, um, you know, quicker than we can staff up, which is often the case, we'll at least have the, the data to be able to have that conversation with you all around where we are. And if we are unable to hit the targets that we've set out to do, and then we can talk about what those solutions look like in order to resolve those problems. Great, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate that. And yes. Sorry. Uh, Commissioner Braun, uh, I do wanna be realistic though. Uh, as, you know, as you bring this up, and uh, President Tanner brought this up earlier on, the, the world is moving more towards deadlines, right? The, the state's coming down with very de defined plan check time, uh, turnaround times and so on and so forth. One thing San Francisco doesn't have uh, that other uh, jurisdictions have as a tool in the tool belt is the ability to use consultants when there's a surge of, uh, of, of work. And I do want to make people realize that those surges will continue to happen, especially when the economy rebounds. And so the expectation then to do, do that work with internal staff then who are constrained and we will not um, lessen our reviews, then uh, the only thing that gives is, is time for a review. So I want to be realistic about that. Sure, and I, I definitely appreciate that. And you know, in some ways with trying to accelerate these processes, um, that inherently creates some efficiencies that might actually allow the staff to be used more effectively. But also at the same time, want to make sure that we're still doing a good job internally uh, with staffing and that we have adequate resources especially again as as primarily fee for service activities you know that we have that we have set those rates appropriately and are you know charging for our time appropriately so um, it's I thank you very much for addressing that I have um, I think maybe just one more comment right now uh, or question really uh, so in this process uh, I 
maybe, I don't know, check my understanding on this, but it feels like these projects are going to come to the planning commission when they, when they need commission authorization, they're going to come more fully baked by the time they get to us. They've been through greater levels of review. Um, and then if this commission makes changes to the project, I'm kind of wondering what that, the implications of that now will be because it seems like the project, if they're substantive, it could just send the whole thing hurtling back through the entire interagency review process. Um, it's something to be sort of cautious about, and I'm wondering if there's been any thinking about the implications of when that happens, or information about how frequently that happens. Maybe it's just a very minor issue. So I think that's a great point, and I think it's one of the things that we're going to need to really walk through, as I was saying, like take some real-world projects through an example of that. Um, I, I think what this process is going to be helpful, um, I think, for the planning staff is to really understand what types of changes are important. And I think right now, we don't really know that as planners. Like, I think we, you know, we hear about, you know, egress and fire access are really important, but we don't really understand all of those nuances. And so I think by really being able to establish these checklists for other agencies, we'll have a better sense of, on this project, what were the key things that were sort of signed off on? And then being able to know, well, what did the planning department, what did the planning commission change? And being able to see, is there an impact to any of those things? Um, so for example, if you're changing, you know, the primary location of the residential entries, yeah, that might, that might be a big deal. And that might cause some changes for the other agencies and we'll need to figure out what those protocols are. But you know, if it's changing window proportions on the front facade or you know, cornice line treatment or you know, roof deck setbacks, those are likely not. So I think it's really gonna depend on the typologies of uh, the types of changes that you guys would make. But also again, we'll have a better sense of what are the important things for the life safety reviewing agencies and how those um, relate to the project at hand. Can I can I add to that, uh, to your question and comment? One of the things that is being described here by planning and this bifurcated system or the site permit review and this concurrent review between the interagencies or interdepartment is not an unusual thing for other agencies that you have explored and done your research on. This is actually very typical. The concurrent and technical review that an applicant gets from FIRE, PW, um, any of the other interagency just adds to their knowledge about the risks that are associated with the project. It's not, the intent is not to, to solidify or bake it. It's to give the applicant more information about what potential risks or issues they may have to solve um, either today or at some point in the building permit process when they're seeking an addenda here in San Francisco. So I just wanted to highlight that this is not what San Francisco has been doing is so unusual, which we've heard, but what, we're there, what they're moving towards is something that's very typical, I think. That's and the commission point. in the past has very often asked, does this meet fire uh, expectations? Does this meet uh, universal accessibility expectations? And in many cases, and a fairly responded planning staff says, this will be looked at later. And I think we're now coming together to wanting to have this concurrently. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Commissioner Braun, was that your last comment? Not to hurry you, just... <laughs> well, no, just to, to say, uh, no, I really appreciate that there's going to be a process to kind of do that case studies of projects. I think it would also be interesting to see when you do identify issues uh, based on the past process, like how many projects does it actually affect? Or like kind of where's going with that? You know, is this a very rare minor thing when the Planning Commission makes a change to something? 
um, that wouldn't really affect the example projects that you're looking at. So I'm, I'm really supportive of this. I think anything we can do to bring down our timelines, you know, speaking of other cities having similar processes, I mean, just across the Bay in Oakland, they move much, much, much faster on project approvals than us. So, um, um, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I just look forward to seeing all the details kind of fleshed out and, and the different uh, information that you managed to research as part of this process. Thank you. Great. So, Commissioner Koppel, Vice President Moore, we're going to take you guys last because we're going to head to our partners at the Building Inspection Commission so they can get some uh, comments in. So we'll go to Commissioner Alexander uh, Toot and then to Commissioner Shaddix. Sorry, I'm between screens. <laughs> um, uh, first of all, I just wanted to thank um, the leadership uh, in the city departments um, and, uh, and at the, at, for our joint commissions uh, for all the work that was put into this. I think it's incredible and that there's a lot of, um, a, I'm excited about the momentum behind this. Um, I had some questions more about the logistics and the internal side, facing side. And one of the comments um, that I made me curious and wanted to ask more questions about was about the computer system. So we have, planning uses Acela. The other departments don't use Acela. What will the interactions be with the other departments on Acela? Are we downloading it, putting it into our own system, re you know, returning it in there? How, how, can you walk me through the Acela system first? And I'll, I'll have follow up on that. Sure. Um, so to your point, currently the planning department uses Acela. Um, the Department of Building Inspection, Fire, Public Works use the permit tracking system. Public Works is also in the process of developing a new system called Clarity. Um, in the short term, the way that we're looking at rolling this out is by using um, automated reporting that provides detail on what tasks need to be completed. For certain agencies, if there are kind of a few specific people that are gonna be working on these projects. They can get seats and they can be directly interacting in the system. They don't need to download anything. It's a, it's a web-based system, so it's very easy to roll out. Um, but to your point, you know, this is not a broad rollout of the system across city agencies. That would be an entire other project, um, and we tried that. So this is a much more limited and defined rollout, trying to leverage the benefits without um, making it too complicated. So. They would be receiving the, ta the review tasks via some automated reporting. That's already how some agencies like FIRE receive review tasks through the permit tracking system as automated reports. Um, they could do their review, and then we would be asking them to put in the response through, through the web um, in a way that we can kind of get the data discreetly. In the long term, since we are um, there's a, a longer term project to replace the permit tracking system. Um, but in the shorter, moderate term, Public Works is rolling out a system called Clarity. We wanna look at ways that we can have those systems just interact directly with each other, um, either by being the same system as has been requested or being able to talk to each other, which you can do with modern systems, but we're not able to do with the permit tracking system because of its technical setup. Um, thank you. So in the discussions around management, you said we don't want to put too much on the planners because it's a management issue when it goes to a different, different um, city department. We want their manager to be making sure that the staff are meeting the timelines. How does that operationalize? Is there an Acela that's 
tracking the manager when things are taking too long? Like, how does that, how, what does that actually mean um, internally? Sure. Um, so the way that we're imagining at this point is the, the individual re excuse me, review tasks, they have due dates associated with them, and we can program that in to have automatically calculate the due dates or manually set them. Um, right now, that's not something that we can do in the permit tracking system. Um, historically, with the permit tracking system, we don't even track the number of times that a permit goes to a different to a station. We just know it arrived there at the first time it arrived there and when it got approved at the last time. But if it went there five times, we don't even know that. So we would have these tasks that would have these due dates associated with them. And in the event that we're coming up on that due date or we start to pass it, we can have automated reports that tell us what those projects are. So then managers and planning can start to work with managers in those departments to intervene and get that fixed. Um, that's something that we've used for Proposition H projects through Airtable and it's been very successful. And many times, you know, it's not, there, there may be cases where it's just the plan checker goes on a vacation and there wasn't the permit reassigned. And right now, because we can't pull that out of the system and see that, it, it comes down to the customer complaining and then it escalating and then eventually it's dealt with. And by that point, the person might be back from vacation. But we wanna do this in a way that those reports can just be issued automatically, that we can know what those issues are. Um, and that is something that we can do with Acela. Great. Well, you kind of fit into my next question, which feeds off of this, is what, what can you tell us, um, so once this is implemented, what does the data analysis look like? What is the tracking? And what is the interdepartment um, kind of supervision and you know correcting of this project look like? Mm -hmm. um, it seems very collaborative going in. Is there an intention to continue that collaboration? And, and what does that collaboration look like long term? Yeah. So you know, setting, up, setting this up is coming down to kind of defining what these review timelines look like and what is reviewed. The way that we're looking at um, implementing this is collecting data points on these different topic areas discreetly. Um, and we'd like to get to a point where we can say, you know, we sent this many referrals to the Department of Building Inspection. Of those, 70% were approved by the second pass, but the 30% that weren't, we wanna be able to say the main topic area where that was still an issue was egress, for example, and then be able to take that information and work with our applicants to clarify what the requirements are. Um, this is a level of data that we just don't, don't collect right now at all. Um, and long-term, you know, this is something that will result and it, it required for it to work. It result. It needs to include department managers across the different agencies communicating much more regularly than we currently do. Um, you know, right now we we do operate somewhat in silos, and and you know this is this is something that will really require those silos to be broken down to work. Yeah, exactly. It can't just be one department prioritizes this, uses the data to fix, and then the other departments just kind of sit on it and are like, well, that's nice. It's yeah. your purview, not mine. You know, we don't want that to happen. Um, and my, I think my uh, final question is more uh, of a DBI question, but we have a, our internal policy for tracking per, um, 
anything that comes in from our rogue contractor list. And um, uh, I'm wondering how this does or does not change anything about um, our ability to add the uh, added level of review for anyone who might be on that rogue contractor list. So Neville Pereira, Deputy Director. Um, so that will continue. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, working with uh, the folks in planning to implement that in the, uh, the planning system. Also, just so you know, the planning department also has a role in the enhanced compliance control process. So we have a very, very strict protocol for any application that comes across our desk. We don't sign off on any of those over the counter. Um, it requires a site visit and escalation and peer review by a manager for anyone who's on that list. So that will remain a status quo procedure. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I don't have any further questions, but um, thank you, everyone, for your hard work. Yeah, I, before, I'd like to call Mr. Shaddix, Mr. Shaddix, but before we get to, to your comment, I just want to make a brief comment. I think one of the purposes of this process that DBI and planning is making is creating a baseline, a baseline understanding and expectation of review. There are so many permutations and details to this that, you know, I think we could get, you know, caught in the weeds, but I think what, what planning and the departments are trying to do collaboratively, which is what I think they're pursuing, is something that's clear for the applicant, one, to see a process through the checklist, um, have expecta uh, certain expectations on timelines, but you know there are just so many iterations, and I haven't seen all of them. But I think there's a certain level of expectation at the site permit level that they should expect, and that I think that that's something that I think this part of this commission a meeting we want to focus on, like some of the baseline expectations an applicant should have coming into this process. Commissioner Shaddix. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to thank all of you for the, the work, the time that you put in this, because it was very professional, very straightforward, and I understood it from start to finish, and I, I thank you. I know you put a lot of work into that. I have one comment only, and I'd like to echo many of the commenters earlier about PG&E. I'd sure like to hear where they're at on, in this entire um, process, because I think they also um, hold a, an important part to uh, um, a lot of our uh, projects. So that's it. Thank you kindly. Go to Commissioner Tam, and then we'll come back to Commissioner Koppel and more. Yeah, thank you for the uh, presentation. Thank you all the commissioners for a lot of great questions and a lot of great work by the both departments. Um, Airtable, Acela, Clarity, um, you know, these are all great, or there's some systems that are better than others. Uh, my question is when we talked about the project managers or the plan checker being the point of contact, is any of these systems, because we have the plan, the tracking system, can somebody, can a stakeholder, or can a client just log in themselves at some point if, it, if there's an inner part, the department review that took place and comments, instead of somebody getting to it, they're anxious, can they log in and look at a, a review or a comment, um, or is that, is that in the works? Would that be in the works? Sure, so with Acela, the workflow tasks are always exposed. So we have mm -hmm. a system called the property information map. Um, where you can look up your project. If you have a login to Acela, which you would need to, you would use that to submit the permit, you can also see the status there. Um, admittedly, our local made permit uh, property information map is something that people find a lot more usable than Acela. It's something that our, our teams have worked really hard on, and it, it, is, it is truly a beauty. <laughs> um, but those workflow statuses themselves are uh, viewable through that and the 
the responses from the agency are being captured in Acela, but then would be um, documented in the planning department's document management system, which is M-Files. Um, all of this technical stuff is, is it's difficult to say, but if you go to the property information map and you see the record and you hit related documents, the response from the agency would be there in related documents. Um, it would post overnight after it's issued. Right, or once somebody touches it and yeah. they comment, they'll get an alert, hey, there's, a, there's a, somebody touched your file. Yeah, it, it'll post overnight just the way the system's designed, but that would be, to your point, they would be able to see it in advance of the planner issuing the letter. Um, but we would want the, the official response from the city to be something that comes in that compiled format, but it, it is viewable. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Koppel? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, complicated issues going on here, so thanks to all the departments and all the staff. Uh, also, really nice to share our, our hearing room with the other uh, commissioners today. I do want to make a special acknowledgement to my new favorite team of President Tanner and Beto. I am absolutely impressed with what's going on today. I can feel the, the relief in the room uh, and, and within myself, too, because, uh, um, you know, Commissioner Moore and I have been here for a number of years. She's going on, you know, decades plus. And so there's, you know, every Thursday, these, these things kind of add up and eventually wear on us. And uh, I'm just so glad to hear that we're moving in, in a direction of trust and accountability and transparency and simplification. And unfortunately, we've had people in the past that have gravely abused our systems. I don't think we should ever uh, leave room for one more Rodrigo Santos. I don't think we should have room for one more Bernie Curran. And I don't know how many hours we've spent looking at the San Bruno Avenue project, but these things cannot happen. And it, all joking aside, like we're literally housing residents of our city in buildings that haven't been inspected is an absolute, absolute shame. I, I just, it has to be said because um, I've not only a dues paying member of Electrical Workers Local 6, I worked for a couple contractors for a couple years. I've built a single family home. I've built a 60 story tower. Granted, I just did the electrical portion of this work. So, uh, you know, I know it's a small sliver of the, the whole construction of a, of a building, but it can be relatively simple at times and it's easily abided by um, and in everything's done safe and again commercial buildings and retail storefronts are one thing but once you have a dwelling unit where people are sleeping in the buildings at night and there's life safety issues involved there's there's no room for error and it's just embarrassing that we've let these people abuse our systems we, we heard a case what two three weeks ago that Rodrigo Santos was involved in so it, it wasn't, you know, so far in the past that we can just, you know, not acknowledge these things happened and, you know, f forget about them and say they're never going to happen again. We need to make the system bulletproof for the safety of our residents at a bare minimum. We, we all have to pay a, you know, a nice fee and, and some of us property taxes and whatnot to live in this city. We deserve to at least be able to go to sleep at night knowing we're all safe um, at the minimum. So um, just thrilled to hear what I'm hearing today and again thanks to, to you two specifically for for driving this bus uh, and also I still want to uh, give out a big shot to our downtown commercial office buildings we we hear a lot in the city about homelessness and housing but uh, I still want to just remind everyone in all departments that don't don't put the the downtown commercial buildings on the back burner 
this is such an important part of our economy, our tax base, white collar jobs, blue collar jobs, transit, like so much of our city revolves around downtown. And if we want downtown to start actually revitalizing itself, we need to not, not put them in front of other projects, but, but don't have them held up longer than we can just because uh, they're, they're that much, uh, they're of that uh, importance to us. Thank you, Commissioner Koppel. Vice President Moore. I want to keep it light, and I'm, I'm very happy to see all of you. I think it will make a different interaction by us supporting and driving this forward. That's a simple answer. I'll jump into two quick comments, appreciated everything, what everybody else said. I wanted to ask about the management system, and perhaps this body is the most uh, skilled person to help me with that question. Uh, we're, using, we're, we're using management, with Mark, Roddy, would you mind being my discussion sure. partner? Uh, we're using management as a very broad tool to fix something which had subtled uh, disconnects in the, in, in the past. And I'm very, I want to be very cautious about hoping that management itself will solve it all. We manage things and we lead people. That's a big distinction. And I believe as we're starting to strongly rely on unfortunately not a fully integrated computer system, I really regret that we are not. I assume that we have a very skilled technical department who helps smooth out the bumps that occur always when you use too many systems. It just is a matter of a fact of life. We know that the interface between PC and uh, Mac took forever. I'm just using that lightheartedly as a comparison. Uh, I'm, I want to ask you, do we have enough senior people who know how it was done in the old days and planning who help transition younger people into a system that will greatly rely on non-people contact but using indeed technology to have intake and fully understanding what's implied. Whenever you eliminate a, con a conversation and go by checklist, there are 20 things that are lost in translation. That happens all the time. And how are you dealing with that? Sure, and, and that's certainly a, a big question. I mean, on a, we're tackling this, I think, on a handful of different fronts. Um, I would, um, you know, first and foremost, the planning department has become very accustomed of using checklists for a lot of our day-to-day -day work. So we're not doing a complete 180 here. Um, to me, all of these things are a little bit of iterative steps in the right direction. Um, the technology tools that we're talking about using, one of, one of our goals here is actually to almost remove one of the tools that we have right now. So we're trying to kind of get PTS a little bit out of the permitting mix. Uh, and only rely on the planning department's tool and bring other people into using that one tool. Because to your point, when you have multiple tools, it ends up sometimes being a mess. So we're trying to kind of bring one, you know, everyone into under one umbrella. Um, from the management side, we're not trying to have management fix it all, but we're trying to have the technology tools that make it easier for planners to do their jobs out of the gates and for all of the staff who are doing their reviews to do their review out of the gate to kind of know when they leave for work on a Friday, what's on their to-do list next week? 
um, and making that as easy as possible. I really do think for the vast majority of folks, if we can make it easy to meet deadlines, to set the deadlines, first of all, and I think that's been one of the challenges to date, is that as a city, we've not established super clear performance metrics of how long should it take to do different parts of the review. Um, and that is 100% on all of our agencies. Um, we're using this as opportunity to establish some of those internal performance metrics. So it's not only establishing what the expectation is, then creating the tools so that people can do their jobs well, but then it is adding that management layer and giving managers the tools to have that oversight. And then it's taking it the, the sort of macro management level. It's, it's building those relationships um, amongst the city family. You know, Neville and I have a monthly check-in. Deborah Letsky and I chat all the time. It's building those relationships, but then being able to have the data to have tangible conversations with real results. So we're not talking anecdotally about problems, but I can go to Deborah and say, hey, last month we really had a problem on these five projects. I want to make sure I want to make sure that the communication tools now being reduced to checklists reflect exactly the depths and breadths of questions that architects need to ask in order to have a complete set of drawings that meets all of what you are checking off. And I believe that the AIA or practicing architects, be the AI or not, should be participating and reviewing that the completeness of what's required is fully expressed because otherwise you get into another do loop. In abbreviating submittals to a checklist, there's inadvertently things being lost. Well, and to that point, I think um, to hit probably where you're going on this too a bit, as part of our intake checklist that we'll be doing, we're really going to have a robust aspect for plan, basically plan submittal guidelines, completeness of architectural yeah, plans, and Mr. Winslow is going to be a big part of doing those initial checks, for example. Uh, so it's not just a sort of robotic check, but we're going to have a checklist so that the public knows these are the expectations that you should have, that you'll need these types of documents. But there's absolutely a human capital aspect to this. We have to have trained planners and managers on the other end understanding what the nuance is behind that, and then being able to communicate that, whether that's in writing or picking up the phone or hopping on a video call. Uh, you're taking the words out of my mouth. I've been sitting on this commission for a number of years, and I've tried, based on listening to many architects, uh, to improve or clarify plan submittal guidelines as they relate to what comes in front of the planning commission. And that has, over the years, while there are exemplary submittals, been a huge hodgepodge of everything or some, sometimes nothing, to the extent that there were submittals where I personally felt I could not make a judgment as a planning commissioner, at least, to approve or, or support a project. The, que the questions not answered in those drawings were so insufficient that there was nothing to approve. Uh, that said, I'm glad we are at this point. I'll be happy to jump back into that discussion with Mr. Winslow. I've spent a lot of time <laughs> even before him being in the department on it, and I hope that other people from the AIA will join that discussion because for different types of projects, based on size, location, et cetera, there are different pieces of information necessary, at least when they come to that portion in which the Planning Commission actively participates in approvals, including certain expectations that deal more with land use and context. Uh, sometimes when you just have a single uh, small parcel and house in the middle, there is not as much about the broader neighborhood context as it perhaps comes when we're looking at it from the uh, Planning Commission's uh, uh, perspective. Those would be the two most important points I, I, I have to contribute, and I, I look forward to a larger cooperation between our two commissions, but also seeing other professionals in the public weigh in as we are crafting this new tool. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Moore. Commissioner Imperial. 
Yeah, I just want to make a comment, and again, I thank every commissioner here who have made comments, um, also asking critical questions to the planning department and also to the DBI as well. I think um, what's clear to me is that the current process is not working. So this is actually, uh, I see this as a great step. Um, also, um, again, in terms of the, um, I actually appreciate what Ms. Wadi is mentioning about the management tools and communication tools. I see that as more of a complement of what is happening. And I do not, um, and thank you for all the explanation and clarification in terms of the project management. Here at the Planning Commission, of course, we do have concerns in terms of the capacity and even the budget for it. Um, but I, that is something that also really need to be discussed, but I think that's also something that we all need to accept as well. Um, but one thing that I would like to actually want just um, question is that in the timeline there is introduction of legislation in the summer of 2023 and you mentioned that in the summer as well that there will be like mini projects or mini um, kind of like case studies I guess. Um, I, I guess my request is that for also in the planning commission to give us that kind of reporting in terms of those case studies as what's going on because again um, we're only seeing the snapshot of the site permits but we're not also but here in the commission we also see different projects as well. I think that will be very um, enlightening for all of us um, to see how is this site permit is actually the new permit process is actually working at what needs to change. Um, but I do appreciate, I think it's really important, the setting the relationships between the departments, the communication between the departments really need to happen. Um, and also I would like to thank Mr. Christensen in also um, mentioning the cultural districts in this aspect because this will really help in terms of we're talking about the racial social equity, this will really help the most needed it that doesn't really know the process came from the other country and need to understand this process. So um, again, thank you and um, thank you for everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Tam, did you have your hand raised again or is that? Okay, I, I don't have control of it, sorry. It's all good. Um, I think we have one person in the queue to speak, maybe with the last public commenter and then uh, I'll make some final comments and I think we'll close. Through the chair, we'll reopen public comment. You have two minutes. Uh, this is Carrie Brickman. Can you hear me? We can. That's great. Thank you. Um, I am an architect. Um, I represent AIA San Francisco to AIA California and work closely with um, the PPAC committee that you've heard from today. Um, I have a few comments. I, I support this revision of process. Um, it's great. And I didn't speak up earlier because um, I do support all of the revisions. Um, but based on the commissioner's comments, I wanted to add two things. One is, um, it, this is a little more detailed. One is that the um, planning department and building department need to ensure that the applicants, um, these are the people who have drawn the drawings, are qualified to prepare the project application to begin with. Um, this would be in, in conformance with state statute, building and profession codes 5500, 5538, and 5537, uh, and also 5536. Um, by uh, being careful about accepting applications from um, qualified applicants, um, then we can also help unclog some of the pipeline with 15 revisions or seven revisions and make things move faster. 
The second is to call attention um, to the new government law regarding architectural copyright and protection of architectural copyright and which documents are um, exposed to the public um, in a manner in which they can be copied. That's going to change. It's a cultural change. It's not going to change the processes per se, but it'll change aspects of the process that will be in compliance with state and federal law. Um, so those are the only things I wanted to add. Otherwise, this is all great and um, really great. Uh, pleased with the commission's response. Did you want me to come? Yeah, I just wanted to make some uh, closing comments, but also some questions. Um, one of the things that we didn't address with any real specificity was uh, public works, and that was a pain point that a number of architects had to raise. Um, I don't know if you want to uh, come up and, and maybe, I guess, the, the, and this doesn't have to be responded to, but one of the things that I've seen in this planning process, or this site permit process, is the um, transformer and some of the questions around PG&E. Um, those are really big issues, and I guess, you know, I don't know if, if um, I'm sorry, Ms. Jansen, let's if you are prepared to present anything or talk about that, and we don't necessarily have to go into detail, we're, we're well into this, but I think at the next meeting or at some point, uh, we've had meetings, I've had meetings with uh, DBI and other departments as well as with uh, President Tanner, but understanding with some level of specifics how Public Works is addressing that transformer. Um, it's not. It's it's a risk that I've always seen, having worked outside of San Francisco almost entirely, that um, we place a transformer with the risk that we are hoping PG&E will will approve it. But how is Public Works helping that process, and how are you helping the applicant? You know, weave through that really complicated. Um, uh, requirements, because the spatial implications of that transformer has huge impacts to the planning approval. Absolutely, and thank you for the opportunity to speak on this. So I've been working with Liz quite closely. We want to have better information for everyone, and one of those challenges is actually having PG&E be more transparent about what their expectations are at the outset. So right now I've actually asked them to put together some brief materials, some flyers that we can incorporate into this MOU process. We're working with planning to better address what needs to happen. So there's multiple different kind of manifestations of what may happen in the right-of-way if it's a PG&E utility vault, a private utility vault, placement, obviously activation of um, the, the private space. So there's a lot of um, issues that we need to work through. There are times also where we're not notified that a power upgrade is needed and pg needs to be more transparent with the developer that they don't have sufficient power for what they're proposing. So there are a lot of challenges here and we're trying to work those nuances, but PG&E and I are working right now to make sure that we can provide that information more publicly and transparently and that we have something that developers can look to or smaller projects can look to to make sure they understand what they need to provide at the outset um, so the conversation can be started sooner. That's really great to hear. The other, the last question that I have about this, and this is a real pain point for a lot of, um, the, this is outside of the, this is the uh, applicant, the architect who's representing the developer, but the street improvements are a real pain point for mm -hmm. a lot of developers, so for architects that know, um, mostly because it presents so many unknown risks what public works is going to require, especially of a large development. They make the requirements of um, off-site improvements much more onerous, um, much more um, even outside the purview of the project. So I think public works can identify if, if for any given size of the development, what is that applicant or, or landowner's responsibility for off-site improvements? 
And I think that's a kind of a twofold answer. So with this new process, we're going to be looking to provide that information right now. I'm actually also working on a checklist to be able to publish that and folks can utilize that and submit kind of more complete plans. We definitely need to know what is being proposed. Are they doing curb cuts? Are they doing driveways? What is that work to the sidewalk or to the street so we can be responsive to provide information in that first and early round of review? Um, but what's really important is that we are having that conversation, we are communicating, but it does get affected by the entire process. What is happening on, um, with the development side? What is planning requesting? What is planning needing? What is DBI needing? And how does that actually ultimately impact the public right-of-way? One of the challenges, and I will share this, one of the challenges we have is that um, it's a second thought to do a street improvement permit. It is kind of deferred in the process. What's really important is what's going on on the private property side of things. What type of units going in? Housing? Is it multi-unit? Is there commercial space? And that does impact the right-of-way, but folks are really keen on making sure that they are being able to get to construction for what's going on in private property. Um, and so we are trying to work with developers to help them understand what our needs are earlier in the process and they can get that to us. And we can work with them as they're working through um, that parallel process with DBI and planning. Are you able to also provide adjacent property information to applicants too, just to make allow the other departments, whether that's fire or building, so that they understand you know, other encumbrances adjacent to that property, whether that's in the right of way, especially in the right of way, I think that that's really your purview, but. I'm sorry, I'm provide information with regard to. Just easements and setbacks that are not necessarily on the project proper, but adjacent okay. to it. Um, we can provide some information, some level of information, obviously things that are recorded against a deed would be something that um, we can help get information to the interested parties so how they can get that detail. Um, but if we have record of it in the right of way, if there are um, right of way easements or if there are utilities that we have awareness of, obviously for the right of way, we are the historians of the city. So the records we do have on file, we are happy to share and make sure that people have that information early or neighbors can access that as well. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. I'll just make a comment to say, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. We heard about a couple of things. We heard about um, some work to look at some case studies and understand what's happening and really look at a few example projects. Uh, there's probably, like, I don't know, maybe 50 checklists that we've talked about being created in different stages. So that's work that I think can help now and immediately that we don't need to wait until um, there's legislation or new systems if people can understand what they're supposed to review today. Um, when they're looking at a site permit, even in today's iteration, that will go a long way. And I think to Commissioner Moore's point, getting those those great as well as with our submittal guidelines and other guidelines really making sure we're really clear about what we need applicants to provide um, and then we'll look forward to learning more from that and learning more from these processes and kind of seeing where things go we also want to put out we do have our policy and practice review coming from HCD later in the fall which is looking specifically at planning but there may be some things we want to learn from that before we go forward with the legislation the mayor's office may want to consider um, just kind of uh, taking some time to really do this as well as get other agencies. I know we have SFMT on the line, Public Works we heard from, uh, PUC has also been named. So I think there's a lot of coordination and I don't want to slow us down, but I do want to make sure we're getting everybody really on board so that when this goes forward and we hit go, we actually can deliver on what we're promising and not just saying, well, we have all these things done, but everyone's not quite lined up to actually deliver the service. Um, as far as I know, 
myself and uh, President Beto will continue to work together. And at some point, once we do have clear metrics and guidelines, I'd love to see us getting together at least annually as agencies to really hold our staff accountable to meeting those metrics, understanding where we're falling short, where we're accomplishing the goals, and um, how much further we have left to go. Um, I think to borrow from Commissioner Moore, what did you say? The road to success is always under construction earlier. So not my new favorite saying. Um, and so I think uh, we can take that today as part of our, our hearing and our, our work to go uh, forward, which is really um, not just beginning, but far from complete, but we know we're, we're on the path. Um, with that, I just want to thank you all for coming here uh, on a Thursday afternoon, um, not your normal time. Thankfully, it's not 8 a.m., so we appreciate um, not being getting up early, I think, for, for your hearing time. And the last, last thing is go Warriors. Tomorrow, maybe we can, like, eke it out. I don't know. We'll see what happens. We're adjourned.